smell better with farm-rich mozzarella sticks in front of you. Yes, find farm-rich in the freezer aisle and enjoy. Everybody, this is Scott Morganroth along with Louis Adio Weiss here for the Sports Exchange on this Thursday night. And Louis, welcome back in the house. Here we go. Let's go. They got a busy night and since Louis is a baseball guy, we're going to lead it off with Ryan Skoru. But before we do that, why don't we go over our guest lineup Everybody, Ryan will lead it off. He'll be followed by Anthony Wood. Nick Puglisi of the Palm Beach Post will be joining us tonight. Mel Farr will be talking to us for like 15 minutes. Damon Knight, Tom Shanahan, and Xavier McKnight will be our closer tonight. With that said, Ryan Skullrood, you're you're the man. Let's talk about fantasy football. What you got? Well, to start it off, uh, David Johnson was not practicing today, so for all those who went out and rushed to the waiver wire to get Chase Edmonds, it looks like he will be uh, most likely a play for this week. Um, it's it's not the best matchup. Um, really quick, going up against the going up against the Saints. The Saints have a, a very good uh, run defense where they tend to struggle against quarterbacks and wide receivers. That being said, because Edmonds can catch the ball out of the backfield, he should you know. If Johnson does miss, Edmonds should still be in for a decent amount of work and could put in a solid week. Um, uh, Alvin Kamara was actually upgraded to limited practice today, um, which is a good sign for him for this weekend. However, um, I still think Latavius Murray could still be a flex play just because against the Cardinals, they they could be, um, you know, they could be kind of, watching how much they actually use Kamara. Um, but for the, I mean, especially for those who actually have Kamara, it, you know, it's good to actually see him actually practicing um, and back at it. Um, another guy who actually missed practice is Josh Jacobs. Um, I believe he's dealing with a shoulder injury. Um, he's been, he hasn't been spotted at practice. He's been spotted um, kind of in some of the warm-up sessions. Um, but he was asked today, um, you know, could you practice or could you play this weekend without practicing? And he said, absolutely. So that, I mean, that's a somewhat good sign for Jacobs um, in terms of the fantasy relevance for this weekend. Um, and so I think he, I think that Jacobs is still an okay play for right now. Just keep watching the, uh, the, the injury reports as we go through the weekend to figure out who exactly will be and won't be healthy. Now, I actually went ahead and added Latavius Murray just in case. Uh, I've been waffling a lot with trying to find a suitable running back for Leonard Fournette. And I've been struggling between Latavius Murray now. I had a wipe, got rid of him pretty quickly. I really hope I could go with Josh Jacobs because I feel better about him. But with the uh, injuries I'm hearing, it's just I don't feel very good. That's why I had to go by adding Latavius Murray is what I had to do. So. I think – it was, I think that's a solid move. It, it it protects you a little bit, you know, just in case Kamara, you know, isn't able to go. It gives you gives you some flex appeal there at least at minimum, even if Kamara does play. So, okay, well, there you go. All right, Matt Ryan not practicing today, uh, according to the yeah. UK. They said Ryan is out. Matt Schaub is in. I forgot he was even in the league. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, according to according to. Uh, um, one of the alerts that I got today, um, he is continuing to nurse that, that ankle. And so he wasn't expected to practice today. So I'm guessing he didn't. And so they're looking to possibly, it's, it looks like it could be Matt Schaub, 
Um, I have not seen anything official that that Matt Ryan is going to be out, but uh, if Matt Schaub is the quarterback for um, for Atlanta on Sunday, um, I definitely think that that means you could pick up the the Seahawks defense. Uh, for this weekend, um, and that could be a, a solid pickup for you um, in terms of in terms of streaming defenses. Uh, if you weren't able to get someone like the um, oh like uh, like Pittsburgh, um, or obviously you don't have someone like uh, like the uh, like the Patriots or something. Uh, I mean Atlanta in terms of giving up points to defenses in fantasy, um, they give up the ninth most points to the defense to defenses. So that means they give up a lot of turnovers. Uh, they've been had trouble scoring points. Um, they give up a lot of sacks. Um, and with, you know, Matt Schaub's history, um, I can see a lot more turnovers coming Seattle's way in this game in Atlanta. So think about the tandem of Matt Schaub, Julio Jones. That doesn't have a good ring to it. Does it? No, I mean, we used to think it was okay for him to, to, for him to uh, to Johnson, um, was it Johnson in, in Texas? Right, Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson. Yeah. Andre right. Johnson. Yeah. So I mean, that used to be a, you know a pretty good a pretty good thing there, but um, you know even even Andre Johnson never had. I think he maybe had one season of ten touchdowns. Has has Julio Jones ever had ten touchdowns in a season? He's always right around that seven to nine mark. Racks up like the most yards in the league, but only about seven to nine touchdowns. So that's always been a that's always been a, a little bit of a of a fantasy um, uh, notch against him in terms of Julio. And so, I mean, with with Matt Schaub, I I think he could be okay. I think with Matt Schaub, it's going to be a bigger day for Austin Hooper at tight end. You know, especially considering that Seattle gives up the fifth most amount of fantasy points to tight ends. Um, you know, it's kind of one one of the spots that their defense struggles the most is is against tight ends. So, um, so I think with if Schaub is starting, Hooper's Hooper's in for the biggest day, I believe. All right, let's go to your sleepers of the week. All right, so moving to the sleepers, that I've got a, a couple here. Um, first off is Cole Beasley. The Buffalo Bills are playing against. Um, who are the Bills playing against? Again, let me pull my go back to my schedule here. Um, so the Bills are playing against Philadelphia, and Philadelphia bleeds points to wide receivers. They give up the, the most amount of points to wide receivers. They're playing in Buffalo. Cole Beasley runs a lot of those kind of short slot routes that uh, that really, um, since they don't utilize the tight end a whole lot, that kind of tends to be the the safety blanket for quarterbacks and those kind of offenses that don't use a tight end. And so. Beasley very well could be um, the guy that gets a lot of those kind of dump off passes and could you know end up with a, end up with a touchdown possibly uh, against this uh, this Philadelphia defense again they they bleed points to wide receivers so it could be a big day for Josh for uh, John Brown too but John Brown's a little higher ranked he's kind of in that you know, low end wide receiver two category and rank kind of in that you know 18 to 22 rank in terms of uh, what he can do Cole Beasley is more like you know wide receiver 40 and so i think that he's a guy that you know because of the opportunity presented him could definitely have um a good week so for someone in like a a 12 team league cole beasley is definitely a flex play at minimum for this week okay uh, uh moving on the the next one is uh, aj brown aj brown had had basically been okay um had you know he had shown his his what uh, the the elite abilities that he had shown off in college 
when he was playing at Old Miss with DK Metcalf. But AJ Brown really hadn't hadn't really developed much chemistry with Marcus Mariota. It could be that Marcus Mariota just couldn't pass the ball. Um, and and really, Marcus Mariota's safety blanket has always been Delaney Walker. Well, Ryan Tannehill comes in. He gets to start this last week, and and AJ Brown ends up getting eight targets, six catches, which is I want to say double the most that he'd ever had yet. I think he maybe had one game with four catches for 100 yards, um, but ends up with six catches. I think only one of them for less than 10 yards. And so he had a really solid game, developed a, a lot of rapport with with Tannehill uh, coming into this game. And now with Tennessee going up against Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is another one of those teams that kind of bleeds points to the wide receiver position, um, giving up the third most amount of points to the wide receiver position. So um, it's definitely a, an open opportunity for someone like A.J. Brown with his speed, his catching ability, and with – Obviously, Ryan Tannehill trusts him, so that's just going to provide a ton of opportunity for AJ for AJ Brown to have a good game. The other one in that game is 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 Jonu Smith. Delaney Walker has been dealing with some leg injuries, and and um, Mike Vrabel has stated that they're just not sure that he's going to be ready for this week uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Again, the game is in Tennessee at home. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not only do they bleed points to quarterback and, and wide receiver, but they're this, they give up the second most amount of points to the tight end position. They're one of only three teams that give up 10 points a week to the wide to the tight end position. And so Jonu Smith, again, he had a little bit of rapport with Ryan Tannehill last week, I believe got into the end zone. So this is a, another guy that, because of the change in um, – because of injury and the changing quarterback provides opportunity that normally wouldn't be there. So um, I definitely think that, that Johnny Smith is, is in a week or in a, in a um, league right now in fantasy where the, um, the tight end position is just absolutely decimated with injury, which it tends to be every year. Um, he is definitely a streaming option. I think that he would be a good option to use for like a, a, a budget move, um, in in DFS this weekend, in order to make uh, in order to make some bigger moves and and, and have some bigger players um, at wide receiver and running back in your lineups. And you got uh, two more Cameron Brait. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so Cameron Brait, uh, OJ Howard is dealing with um, with an ankle injury, I believe, um, and due to due to that, we're not sure how much he's going to play. Um, and there's a there's a history between Cameron Brait and and um, Jameis Winston. Um, two, I want to say it was two years ago. Maybe it was three. Um, Cameron Brait was the tight end number seven. Um, I think he finished with eight or nine, eight touchdowns on the season. Had about 700, 800 yards. He was he was the safety blanket for Jameis Winston. Well, then they drafted O.J. Howard, and they kind of split work for the most part in O.J. Howard's rookie year. And then the next year, um, O.J. Howard was was okay um, and then really took off in, like, week three. And I want to say ended up getting injured, like, week nine or ten. Um, but Brait went stepped right back into that role and was a solid contributor again. And because it's really it's Godwin, Edwins, and then they really don't have any other any other dependable receiving options, Cameron Brait, especially if, if Howard doesn't play, uh, is a, is another solid guy that I would put in as a, as a possible streaming option, or again, a budget player to use in your DFS lineups. The last guy is Kenny Stills. You know, we talked about, uh, on our show last night with, uh, with Fuller being 
Um, with Fuller being out for a few weeks with this injury, uh, Kenny Stills really is the guy that's going to step into that wide receiver two role. I think this will help out DeAndre Hopkins as well to be to to really get loose because um, Fuller tends to be the kryptonite for DeAndre Hopkins, and so when both of them are on the field. Um, the, a lot of the deep passes from Watson tend to go to Fuller because of his speed. Um, now with Fuller gone, I think a lot of that's going to go to DeAndre Hopkins, but I think that Kenny Stills can fill enough of that Will Fuller-type role that he could be in for a big week this week as well. The only question I have before we wrap things up here is this. The Lions obviously decimated with the running back uh, loss of on Johnson. Do you think their tight ends get a bit more play to complement the wide receivers? And I use that plurally between Jesse James and TJ Hawkinson. Well, I think I think it's possible. Um, the Hawkinson just again he is a rookie and he's still getting uh, integrated into the offense. Um, the New York Giants are actually pretty good against tight ends. Um, it's it's wide receivers and running backs they really struggle against. Um, and so I think that this is kind of a this is going to be a tough a tough road for the for the tight ends for um for the lions and so i i'm still i am still more on the the ty johnson is going to score higher than tj hawkinson or even a combination of jesse james and tj hawkinson i still think that ty johnson uh, again because of how uh, favorable the matchup is against the uh against the giants who give up the fifth most amount of fantasy points to running backs i think this is favorable enough for him to to have a decent game Anything else you want to add before we conclude and pick this up next Tuesday? Uh, I think that's about it other than uh, good luck to everyone with their lineups, whether it be in DFS or or in uh, season long. All right, everybody. Ryan Skullrude will be back on Tuesday night here on the Sports Exchange. Lewis, anything you want to add to him really quickly? No, Ryan, I mean, you know, we were briefly talking about the Michael Bennett trade, but, you know, we can talk more about that Tuesday as this week plays out. Yeah, and speaking of what's the t- trade deadline, it'll be next Tuesday, won't it? So imagine yep, there'll will. be a flurry of activity coming up between now and then. So, all right, Ryan, school route, great job this week, and we'll pick it up next Tuesday. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate you. Thanks for for having me on. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. So, See you later, Ryan. So, so uh, anything you want to add to uh, this, Lewis? Uh, I mean, he made an interesting point about Camaro. We know what kind of player Camaro's been in his first two-plus seasons in the league, so... You know, it, and he's been very important while Bridgewater's there, you know, kind of allowing Bridgewater to focus more in the passing game, being that Kamara is such a dynamic, you know, rusher. But, you know, you also have to take into account that he's had at least 81 catches in both of his first two years in the league. So, you know, it, it's interesting. Hopefully he's healthy. I understand he may not play this week, but, you know, with the way that Bridgewater and Co. have been playing, you know, I won't. I don't think it's going to hurt him too much just given that they're, they're recent play. Okay, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic definitely plays out for sure. So, uh, Anthony would have had a little bit of perspective as to what's actually going to happen right now, and he always does. I think the one thing I mentioned to Ryan, which obviously Anthony will probably reinforce, is the Atlanta Falcons quarterback situation for sure. So, I mean, I I mean, looking at Schaub's numbers, I understand he had a little his falling out at first time through Atlanta, but he's not necessarily a terrible quarterback. I mean, there's worse options you have to back up. I mean, we can use Miami as an example, but I think most of the early inception of this show has been kind of just trashing what's going on with them over there. So I think they'd be worse, you know, without Matt Ryan. 
than having Matt Schaub in there. So right. I, I don't. Again, it's not the worst thing in the world, for, but for a team that's already had such a terrible season, this is really like one, one of the least you know terrible things to happen to them as far as a backup quarterback of that caliber playing goes. So well, he's familiar with everything that goes on in Atlanta for sure. So the familiarity factor, and nowadays with you being. Uh, brought up with the NFL versus what I was, you know, you really depended on the one quarterback. Absolutely. Nowadays, you have to really depend yeah. on two. With that said, Anthony Wood is uh, on the program, so uh, we'll let Anthony go ahead and take over some of the things that we have. Anthony, welcome back to the Sports Exchange. Appreciate you having on, buddy. Yes, hello, 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 the gents. How are you doing? How's it oh, going, doing Anthony? Okay, gent, my UK. <laughs> I'm getting ready for my trip to Jacksonville. <laughs> how are so things, things going? Oh, all right. I get ready for my trip to Jacksonville. So I'll let you lead off with the obvious point about what we should be seeing up in Jacksonville, UK. Yes, let's, let's be honest. It's an interesting situation going on. We've got uh, Gardner Minshew, who's obviously been 10 touchdowns, two interceptions over his uh, seven games so far this season. And he's looked fantastic as a rookie. Yeah. And, beyond, I think, what we'd expected at this point in time. Yeah, he really does. I guess it's going to present that unique debate uh, when the time comes that Foles is eligible to come back, that's for sure. Certainly. I mean, Foles has returned to training this week. Um, obviously, he, he did start their very first game, but he was out after about, I think, two snaps in total. So, Minshew has been their starter all season, essentially, and he has really gotten a good grip on this offense, and he's really shone so far. So, the big question coming out of Jacksonville at this point in time is, do they jump back to Foles once he is healthy, say, this week or next week, or do they stick with the rookie? Do they stick with what's working now? It's, it's, it's a tough question because it's not like you've got a back catalogue of work of Foles in this offense in Jacksonville to look at and go, right, he's going to be able to do a better job of this offense than Minshew is because we don't really know what to expect from Foles in this offense. So, personally, I think my, my, my opinion is stick with Minshew but he'll be on a very short leash, and then should anything go wrong, Foles will step in. But how do you how do you guys feel about this? Well, you know what? You just said a mouthful there, Anthony. He could be on a short leash. I think part of it's going to be attributed to the record, too. I mean, I, I think that if the Jaguars play to their capabilities and they even this thing at 4-4, and, of course, you got to also take into consideration you have one or two games and then you're leading into the London game, and then you have a bye after that. When do you incorporate Nick Foles into the equation, knowing you have the bye as well? So I think there's some interesting dynamics. I'll have more clarity on it over the weekend. Uh, Lewis, what did you want to add to that? I was thinking, and I don't know if teams do this, but you know, we see that rosters carry two quarterbacks, but maybe they think about instituting a two-quarterback system. We know Foles and kind of – conveys this sort of clutch gene he kind of has it in and we saw it that first go around in Philadelphia and then you know when Wentz was injured he was big into leading them to that Super Bowl so I mean could we see a scenario where say Jacksonville is struggling maybe in the third quarter and then you bring Nick Foles in I mean I know what Anthony said he's on a short leash but could we see that to where you know Foles comes in you know later in a game maybe helps them get close to at least winning or maybe even win a game you know in the second half and they you know run a system that way or do you just see it as you know Foles has, or Minshew has one mess up and you know they're going back to Foles you know that's a fair question let me answer this first okay UK then you can go ahead and implement the only time I've ever seen a two quarterback system involved is when you have a guy who's a very mobile quarterback and you're trying to throw the defense off exactly 
Uh, otherwise, exactly. I don't see it with two pocket passers. I just don't. But I will quip with the fact that Minshew is shown to be a pretty good runner. I mean, I'm right. looking at it right here. He's had a few games where, you know, he's broken away for a little bit. I mean, he's not – I'm not going to say he's Lamar Jackson, but, again, he's adequate enough to where he can, you know, scramble for a few yards for you on his feet. But you just said it. Runner to scramble to extend the pocket and extend the play is one thing than being an actual runner to know that you can actually – tucking the ball in like a running back and then going for making the big plays as we've seen. That's a different story. But I do understand your point, and both of you guys are dead accurate in terms of the short leash. Knowing the way the Jaguars operate like I do – I think, and this is just speculation on my part, I'll have an idea of what's going on over the weekend over the next two weeks, that I think that they really would like to bring Foles back in around a week 11 or 12 and let this Minshew thing play out as long as they can. And if they see the reason to switch, that's when you make the switch. Let me use an analogy, and you guys will understand where I'm coming from. I don't know about you, uh, UK, I don't know if you are, but what the Rocky film Okay, I remember when Mickey, uh, his trainer, told him, you know, he used to be a left-handed fighter, use right and then switch back. You see where the analogy, that's when you have to know when to go back if the situation presents itself to keep everybody off guard. You know the analogy, do you understand it too? I mean, I would have used Paul McCartney being a lefty playing a well, right-handed guitar. you're a music guitar, guy, that's but, different. But, okay. I, but I agree with what you're saying. I agree with the sentiment that you're putting forth. I understand where you're coming from. So, you know kind of use what works, and then you can always go back to another thing that works. Right. What do you think, Anthony? Because you and I had some fun over the summer talking about sports movies. This is an opportunity to slip one in. <laughs> Absolutely. I, 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 it's a tough one. I understand entirely where you're coming from. and, and it's. But at this point in time, and you mentioned, you were right on it there just now, you mentioned obviously that the, the only way this can really work with the 2QB system or anything like that, is if they they have two very different skill sets, and I don't right. see that between these two QBs, and that's the big problem for me. You, the best example I can think of today would be look at New Orleans when they throw Taysom Hill in the offense with, say, Drew Brees. Two very different quarterbacks, both QBs, but with very different skill sets. Hill's more mobile, more physical, he's a better runner, blah, blah, blah. You don't necessarily get that with Minshew and Foles, and that's the problem for me. So I, I maintain he's going to be on a short leash, but it's it's... I, I would stick with the hot hand. I would stick with Minshew. Yeah, I think so for the time being. You really do. And I'm going to add something on that. We talk about the clutch gene that I briefly delved into with Foles, but also know this, that Minshew already has two game-winning drives this year. And I think that if anything, you know, again, ride the hot hand, but we've sh- he's shown that he can do it in big moments. And, look, I'll, I'll throw another exactly. note out there. His completion percentage the last two weeks is 47%. That's not great. You know, we tend to think league average is about 60. So, you know, should he have another game like this and Foles continues to progress, I would not be shocked if in, you know, maybe week 10 or whenever he returns, you know, they go back to him as starter. But if they continue to win, I think they'll just continue to ride it as long as possible. Yeah, I mean, that to me makes the most sense. I really do. And you know what? The one thing that all three of us are overlooking is Tom Coughlin and Doug Marone know this is a great problem to have. It really is. Look at all these teams around here that are struggling to find a quarterback, and you've got two good ones and a guy who's a late-round pick who's actually performing ahead of schedule. But they knew when I was at the draft, this guy was their quarterback of the future, and they didn't have to break the bank to get him early in the draft. Mm -hmm. And they could kind of continue to use him the way that I guess the Packers did with Rodgers when he was taken in 2005 where – 
it took him four seasons to start. You know, we had to wait for Brett Favre to retire for the 36th time before, you know. <laughs> right, that was he, good. He came back out. And we saw at the beginning, Ro- I believe Rodgers' first season as a starter was like 6-10. and 10. And, you know, you could chalk up Minshew's early struggles, you know, that you know that week six game against New Orleans where, you know, he keeps the offense, you know, only get the offense six points and he's completing 48% of the passes. We can kind of make a comparison in that regard and, it, and just further note that, you know what, Keep him there while Foles runs the course of that contract. And if Foles continues to struggle when he returns, say he comes back and he's not, you know, playing well, then you know you who you have in Minshew and somebody who's already shown that he can perform at a high level in the NFL. Well, knowing Minshew the way that I do know him, okay, this is not a guy who you're going to damage his confidence, unlike a lot of the fragile psych that you do with a lot of quarterbacks. You really don't. So I don't think you're going to have that problem here like you would in most cases. Oh, you're going to wreck that? No. Gardner's a cool customer is what he is. So well, however the outcome is, he understands it. But this guy's getting such valuable experience. It's ridiculous. And he's the type of guy who's such an old-fashioned country boy that he doesn't mind learning from Nick Foles. And when you have a good quarterback room like you have with these guys, then there's a lot of good cohesiveness there in order to make sure that there are no issues whatsoever uh, in the room. So I, I think it's a good problem to have. All right, so let's go on to another quarterback situation, Anthony. We're talking about Bridgewater or Breeze. Go ahead. Yes, so uh, I mentioned uh, the Breeze situation earlier on. We take some help. He obviously Bridgewater's the highest-paid backup in the NFL. He's had five wins at the start of this season, obviously in relief of uh, of Drew Breeze, who's been suffering with a thumb injury. Uh, he, he is only lost. Uh, Bridgewater's only loss came as a relief for Breeze against uh, against LA. He's had nine touchdowns, two interceptions so far this season, but he's had a very good record. And his what's been impressive is that he's again he's shown a command over this offense. His experience in the NFL may be limited, but it is there. He has experience from the past, and he's shown it. He's kept a cool head. He's gotten on very well with, with um, Jared, both Jared Cook and Michael Thomas. He's really gotten the best out of them. So it's, it's a tough situation. I mean, five straight wins with him as a starter, suddenly to pull him. Don't get me wrong, Drew Brees is one of the, the best of all time, in my opinion. But it's certainly not going to be easy to pull someone like that who's on such a hot streak because Drew Brees has returned and he believes he's ready this week. So do they rush Brees back in or do they perhaps give Teddy another week or two and perhaps wait until the bye? This is the first time in many years that I have seen two situations where the backup quarterbacks have played pretty well, bringing the incumbent in. Three. Kyle Allen. Or, well, um, right. Okay, Kyle Allen. Okay, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, although I think Kyle Allen has a little more staying power than the other two. But we'll get to that in a moment, so thanks for bringing that up. But you've got – but, yeah, this is a good problem for these coaches to have. It really is. I mean, the future, at least you know, is good in Jacksonville – Teddy Bridgewater is going to be a starter someplace in 2020, and Kyle Allen's going to be a starter with the Carolina Panthers down the road. As you brought it up, that that's a good problem to have, and I think that at some point or another, Cam Newton can be a salary cap casualty down the road. We'll see how that plays out. But I don't know if it were me. Again, I don't get paid the big bucks to do this. I would go with Bridgewater at least another week is what I would do, and then give Breeze a chance to fully heal. That's me. You're, what do you think, Lewis? I can honestly see, I mean, they're playing Arizona, so you're going to have two quarterbacks who are going to try to get it done multiple ways. You know, Murray and Bridgewater both like to use the legs, although um, we, as we've seen Bridgewater kind of grow into the league a little bit more given that this is, I believe, his sixth season in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken, or his fifth. 
he's kind of slowed down on the running a little bit, whereas Kyler Murray is still kind of a fresh fruit. So he's very much trying to, you know, show what he can do and put himself on display. But I can see if they struggle and if Breeze is healthy and if, you know, Sean Payton believes that, then, again, I wouldn't be shocked if he's back in that game in the third quarter and he's taken over and then we just... You know, the narrative shifts to where Teddy Bridgewater, you know, he was good for five weeks and he'll probably continue to be good, and I'm sure he'll have a starting job next year, but it's going to be Drew Brees' team all over again. Oh, without a doubt, but again, you're talking Arizona Cardinals, so... Who have played well the last three weeks. I understand they haven't played, like, uber-competitive teams, but at the same time, it's still the NFL, and they're winning those games, and that's good for Kyler Murray to get under his belt. Well, it is, but you're talking about a team that yields a lot of points and a lot of yards. So, but yeah, I mean, hey, listen, the Cardinals... Uh, didn't win many games last year, and they're already showing promise already. So with that said, let's talk about, um, obviously, Patrick Mahomes being back, ASAP risk injury. Uh, we'll let you lead off with this one, Anthony, and then Anthony, uh, then uh, Lewis and I will chime in. Go ahead. Yes, Mahomes, has, he has started training once again. He will not play this week, and also probably not next week either, but those talk of will he return the week after that, it's, it's a lot sooner than they'd expected, and that's certainly good from their point of view that he's getting back so much sooner than they thought, because uh, let's be honest, initially they were really concerned about how serious that injury was. So the question is, do they rush him back? Do they bring him back maybe next week? Do they push him a little bit? Because he wants to play, he wants to train, he wants to be back on the field. But obviously, with a serious injury like this, it, rushing him back might be a mistake. So again, for, this, this is merely an opinion-based, but for me, I'd say give him another week or two, make sure that he's fully healthy first, don't risk it. Because we've seen what he's done earlier in the season when he went down with that ankle issue. They pushed him back in again and he struggled again week on week with that ankle issue because he didn't get time to re- to recover. I would give him an extra week or so at least just to make sure he is back where he needs to be, both in terms of his uh, his ankle and his knee. Yeah, Matt Moore is a very capable backup. He's proven to be in the league for a lot of years and some guys that are quarterbacks are that are backups stay around a long time. So I think that the Kansas City Chiefs are in good hands with them. But more importantly, what the Chiefs have to do is they have to get some kind of a running game going, and I'm not so sure that Andy Reid is the type of guy that wants to utilize a run as much as he's capable of doing, and he should get money out of uh, LaShawn McCoy, but he's not doing it. So I don't know. I I agree, but Andy Reid is Andy Reid, and he's going to do what he thinks. But I think they're in good hands with Matt Moore. I would be, I would be hesitant to mess with the – Franchise quarterback with Mahomes, but we'll, time will tell. Uh, let's let's talk about Mad Shop, who's set to start in Atlanta. I, I when I was looking at your notes, I tend to think that I forgot he was in the league, but Matt Ryan is out. So you know, again, you're talking about a bad team, anyways. So uh, from one Matt to another, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, obviously Matt Shelby is set to start this weekend for Atlanta. Matt Ryan is out. I'm personally thrilled. I can't wait to see some more of Matt Shaw. We haven't really seen much of him since that uh, since that Hall of Fame game over the summer. But apart from that, I mean, obviously being a, a base in Texas myself, I remember the uh, the Matt Shaw of old down in Houston when he was a sort of Pro Bowl caliber QB at one point. It may have, even though it may have only been brief. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. Let's be honest. I don't think we can expect too much from Atlanta at this point in time. I think we know. This is not going to be their year, and and I certainly don't think Shaw is as good a QB as Matt Ryan. So it'll be interesting to see how he performs this weekend. But I wouldn't be surprised if this was Shaw's last season. Let's just put it that way. I think this, and who knows if Matt Ryan is back the following week, could this be Matt Shaw's last start? Probably. All right, let's go on to the injuries. I know we have a few more minutes to go here. I want to make sure you cover everything. So uh, we'll stay with the Jaguars, and then you can go right down and run them off. 
Yes, uh, Jaguars defensive tackle Marcel Darius is having surgery to repair a core muscle injury today. He will be out four to six weeks. That's a big loss for their defense. Josh Gordon, New England Patriots wide receiver, has been placed on IR by the Patriots. He hasn't really played to the level that expected this year, and he is expected to be released once healthy as a result. So it's a question now of do they release him before Wednesday, in which case he'll become a free agent, or after Wednesday, in which case he'll have to go through waivers. Now, if he goes through waivers, that could play into your home state team, uh, Miami's hands, in which case perhaps they bring him in first of all, or they bring him into partner Alan Hearns and Devontae Parker, and maybe that offense starts to get at least marginally better. Who knows? That's just a just a theory there, but that's going to be something worth watching out for. Speaking of receivers, Adam Thielen is out this week for the Vikings against the Redskins. Obviously, that game is tonight, if I'm not mistaken, so keep a close eye out and see how they do without Thielen. They've obviously got Stephon Diggs coming off of another fantastic week. And then, finally, in terms of injuries, the Chargers have placed Forrest Lamp on IR, the offensive guards. So that's a loss for that offensive line. Um, but, yes, let's move on to another an, another injury, but a slightly different situation, which I wanted to get your opinion on. Kalechi Osmele, the offensive lineman for the Jets. So he, he's been told by doctors, he, he went to get a second opinion outside of the team because he was convinced that something was obviously wrong. He was told by his doctors that he needs surgery to repair a torn labrum in his shoulder. Now, the eight-year veteran was actually fined by the Jets for not practicing this week, and they have not authorized surgery. They believe he, he can carry on playing. The Jets insurance provider has said that they will approve surgery. The Jets themselves have not, though. So it's an interesting situation. Osmele has decided to go forward with the surgery. The NFLPA have pledged their support to him, saying that he basically has a right to look after his body and go and get the help he needs. And, and it's, it's an interesting one. How far do you push? How far can a player push? push their bodies until they need to step up and say, look, I'm, I'm too damaged here, I'm too injured, I need to go and get help. Now, according to Adam Schefter, if the Jets do not approve this, this surgery, he will have rights under the uh, CBA enforced through legal process. So uh, is he going to end up having to, to go up against the Jets in that regard? I hope not. Obviously, nobody wants to see that happen, but you can't blame him for wanting to to put his body first at this point in time. How many how many Vicodins is he going to have to take otherwise? How, how much pain medication is he going to have to take in order to be able to play? It's ridiculous in my opinion. I think he's done exactly the right thing in, in terms of putting his body first. But I was wondering what your thoughts on this are. Yeah, Mel is going to talk about it in a little while. I'll just give you my quick thoughts about it. Number one, the Jets are looking bad because they, if they ever want to get another free agent or anybody to go there, this is just a bad look on the organization. Exactly. You know, but there's trains of thought. Sometimes players play through injuries. You'd like to think you can do it. But, you know, I could go e – I'm mixed on this one. I could go either way. I just know it makes the Jets look bad. It just does. It does. It really does make the Jets look bad. And it's a bit like the Redskins in a similar situation. Obviously, we've heard the situation with Trent Williams and how unhappy he was with their medical staff. And, and those sorts of things really do not reflect well on the team. And like you said – Free agents are going to be looking at the team going, right, is there something I really want to risk if they're not going to help me out when I get hurt? Because we know how much of a difficulty that is in terms of the NFL anyway, in terms of being dumped as soon as you're injured. So especially for, for younger players who aren't necessarily guaranteed as much, this is a real off-putting factor. Yeah, I just think it's a bad PR move. And I don't know whether uh, – yeah, it's just a bad – I think it's just a bad PR move. Uh, is what it is, you know, and uh, I don't know. It could go either way. Mel Farr is probably more equipped to answer it than we are. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. It's certainly something I'll have to deal with without a doubt, and we'll see how it plays. So 
you know, Mel's more equipped to play it than we are. But I'm glad you brought it up. It's something that obviously has to be discussed. And you know what? I'll get a much better gauge on that situation, too. Because, again, the Jets are playing the Jaguars this weekend uh, in the first of two trips to the uh, Sunshine State. Northern Florida this week, Southern Florida next week. So, as usual, Anthony, very very good job. And we'll look forward to your updates on Tuesday. I think we're going to give you a little bit more time because you're going to have some trading deadline uh, news you're going to talk about. So, we'll make sure that you have enough time to cover all bases there. So, we'll give you a little more extra time on Tuesday. So, stay on top of things. Uh, But once again, Anthony Wood, thank you very much for being on the program. And have yourself a good weekend. And uh, make sure you're loaded with info on Tuesday. Anything you want to add, Lewis, before Anthony goes? No, I think he touched all bases. Very good. All right. Listen, Anthony, thank you very much. And I'll be in touch with you over the weekend. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Jeff. Take care. Thank you. All right. Uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're, we're going to talk about Lewis's favorite sport. We're going to talk about baseball. Okay. And why don't you talk about uh, uh, game two? That's uh, <laughs> what you can do if you want. So the first six innings were actually pretty good. I mean, Verlander and Strasburg traded two runs across those six innings. And we saw Strasburg go out there. You know, in the sixth inning, he kind of got rattled. I believe he threw nearly 120 pitches. And, you know, he's been worked a lot this postseason. And to see what he did in that sixth inning, I don't know if you saw, but I believe he had the bases loaded. He drops a 3-2 curveball. The one thing about Steven Strasburg that I've always loved, and this goes back to when he was coached under Tony Gwynn at San Diego State, is he's always had elite command. I believe his strikeout-to-walk ratio is somewhere above four. And that's something you're always going to get with Strasburg. He's very pinpoint with his control he's always going to throw you a lot of strikes he knows how to place three different pitches and that's what has kind of made him such a great pitcher despite the injuries that he's suffered throughout the early part of his career and I'll go on the flip side of this because I want to go to the managerial changes okay Justin Verlander is 0-1-5 in the World Series in six starts there's a guy that has Hall of Fame credentials is going to get in the Hall of Fame but, boy, his work in the World Series, it just isn't there. And it goes back to 2012, too. I'll never forget my 16th birthday being at a bruise room down off of Hillsboro for all my uh, South Florida family and friends. And Pablo Sandoval, who would win World Series MVP that year, Verlander then still a member of the Detroit Tigers coming off a fantastic season in a series in which we thought that the Tigers, you know, Miguel Cabrera winning that first triple crown since, you know, the days of Yaz and the 67 Miracle Red Sox. Um, Verlander, who had another phen- phenomenal year after, I believe he had a 264 ERA that year, if I remember, because that was the two-year period where he was right. pretty much baseball's best pitcher. You know, Sandoval hit three home runs in that ser- in that game, in game one, and then he hit um, two off of Verlander, and Verlander's six innings pitched in that game. Yeah, I mean, Verlander's World Series pedigree isn't good. His overall postseason numbers, though, are really good. He's a 335 ERA. Actually did set a record last night. He surpassed John Smoltz, who ironically was calling the game with Joe Buck. Um, most postseason strikeouts ever, 200-plus strikeouts in the postseason. So Verlander's body of work in the postseason, it's really similar to his regular season. Regular season career, I believe, is like 334, right. 335. His postseason array is the exact same. So he's been the exact same pitcher. We've just seen a lot of home runs given up by him, and that was his weakness, Kurt Suzuki, last night, a big home run in the seventh inning. And, you know, Verlander's final line, he gave up four runs. But, you know, Houston's been in trouble, and I think a little bit of that is the scandal that's going on around them. I don't know if you want to delve too much into no, that. I but. don't. i got too many other things. The scandal is what it is. The uh, assistant general manager, as I understand, got fired He today. did, yes. So, But I don't want to get into that. All I want to talk about 
is the fact that Verlander has struggled in the World Series, doesn't diminish his Hall of Fame career. He's going in. He's got no hitters. He The only place he hasn't won is in the World Series. Mm-hmm. But he has a ring. Yeah, he does, and he did, in fact, pitch game in relief in Game 7 of the World Series, so I'll always give credit for a pitcher, especially one like Verlander, who's always been known as a workhorse and right. throwback to older eras for doing what he did in that Game 7 of that 2017 series. Right, but this is no indictment. Again, all I'm going to do is one stat. I'm not going to go stat heavy on this, okay, like you will. 0-5 and 6 World Series starts, but he does have a championship ring, and he's been on some good teams. His Hall of Fame credentials are solid. With that said, we're going to go on to some of the managerial hirings, and then we'll let you get a little bit in before we bring on Nick Puglisi, okay? Mm-hmm. First of all, David Ross, three-year contract with the Cubs, uh, internal candidate, somebody very familiar. So what are your quick thoughts about that hire? I mean, given the fact that he was John Lester's personal catcher dating back to the days of the Red Sox and the fact that he caught Lester that first year, two years in Chicago when Lester signed that seven-year $153 million deal, I believe it was. I love it from that perspective. I think he'll be able to work with Lester again and, you know, kind of help Lester reestablish some of that old glory that he's had because Lester's really not the same pitcher. I believe this is two consecutive seasons now with an ERA above four. He had a horrible stretch in June and July, and I think a guy like Ross will help him there. I love the fact that he's got a good relationship with the likes of Rizzo and Bryant Rizzo, who is, in fact, $14 million club option. We know that's going to get picked up. I mean, given the fact that, you know, he knows Ross and the fact that Rizzo has been, you know, an all-star first baseman, one of the best all-around first basemen in the league, doesn't strike out. I love it from that regard. Although what is strange about it and the dichotomy with the Cubs right now, and I'll, the last thing I'll say about it is we have rumors surrounding Bryant and this possibility of him being traded. He had another fine season this year. The problem with him is he's had that ongoing shoulder problem for the last couple of years. And uh, he did turn down a big extension from them last year, and there's rumors of him being traded. I would not be surprised if it happens. They do still have two more years of club control with them. So, I mean, they could wait until the offseason after 2020. But, again, you know, if he gets traded, David Ross is going to have a hard time finding at-bats at third base. Yeah, but you know what? You're going to have a year with him and Ross working together before they have to make the decision. And the one thing about the Cubs that I will say is they have deep pockets if they need to. They do. So, with that said, we'll go on to the next managerial hiring. Okay, and that being Jace Tingler, he's only 38 years of old. 38 years old. He's a guy that's managing winter ball at the moment. He's bilingual. And the Padres organization, there's international prospects there. He's been a major league uh, player development field coordinator for the Texas Rangers. He ends up beating out Ron Washington, who was definitely a uh, uh, candidate for the job. And, of course, I heard uh, inklings about Mike Sosha, but it became apparent that they went with youth and the bilingual part to prepare for what they've got to do down the road. Your takes on that. So at the beginning, I didn't necessarily understand the hiring, but given the fact that we've seen baseball trend in this direction of the young sabermetric inclined manager and being that, you know, he worked under John Daniels in Texas. Texas is very forward thinking as far as analytics is concerned. I, I mean, I like the hire, the, and I do enjoy the fact that he is bilingual. We've seen he's got guys like Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, you know, very star, you know, star players on that left side of the infield that he'll de- begin to develop a rapport with as, you know, he begins to establish himself in that organization. So I get it. I mean, I would have liked to have seen the likes of maybe a Buck Walter go over there, and Machado did champion for him. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading about that. But, you know, you really can't go wrong with these young managers. We saw Rocco Baldelli was right. managing the Good Minnesota example. Twins, and he led yeah. them to a 100-win season with very little of a starting rotation. So, you know, it's going to be fun. I mean, they're still a team that's not going to win right now. The Giants are still rebuilding. You know, they have a lot of prospects coming through. But I think, you know, it is what it is. They essentially did hire another Andy Green, though. But, we'll see, you know, 
with the Padres, we'll see how it turns out. You know, they just need to get over the hump and get back into the postseason. I believe they haven't been since like 2009, so it's been a while. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they've been one of those organizations that has struggled throughout the years. They have been in the World Series, I believe, twice, but fallen 84, short. 98. Right. Okay, on to the next managerial hiring. I know you want to talk about uh, some MVP stuff, so I want to make sure we take care of the business at hand first. The hire I like the most, believe it or not, I can't believe the Mets blew this one, but then again, we're talking about the Mets. But Joe Girardi hired by the Philadelphia Phillies, a team that he beat uh, for a World Series title. Great hire. I think that's a great move by the Phillies. And again, he inherits Bryce Harper for whatever that's worth. I think it's a great hire. What do you think? Listen, Joe Girardi... I'm glad he's not going to manage in New York again. I genuinely think he was a bit burnt out on that city after his 10 seasons there. But I really, and I I think he is the right manager for Bryce Harper. Look, Bryce Harper's played under a lot of guys. I mean, he's played under Matt Williams, you know, um, Dusty Baker, Dave Martinez, to name a few. Gabe Kapler last year. He's pretty much seen managers of all ilks. Kapler, the analytic-minded Dusty Baker coming from the old school. You know, same with Matt Williams, although Matt Williams was very forward-thinking at the time of his hiring. But I think Girardi is the right guy for him because if I know anything about Girardi, and, and I happened to have, I believe I've met him once or twice before, given that he used to reside in the Parkland area. So, you know, I grew, I mean, I've seen him a few times before. But the thing with Girardi is he's a very no nonsense kind of guy, and I'm gonna make th- and I'm gonna come out and say it right now. A lot of this Bryce Harper hate is a lot is very ill afforded. A lot of this hate that comes toward him is him not living up to the expectations presented upon him when he was a 16 year old hitting 502 foot home runs in Tropicana Field with a metal bat, and you know hitting 443 in college at the age of 17 and playing pitcher catcher and outfield. So the 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 expectations on him were unrealistic. Yes, did he have a historic season in 2015, one of the best offensive seasons ever? Yes. Can you talk about the Phillies without talking about Bryce Harper right now? No. You probably couldn't talk about the Phillies three years ago without talking about Bryce Harper. But what I'm trying to get at is Joe Girardi is the perfect manager to manage a personality like that because we saw 2009, Scott, the manager of the Yankees was Joe Girardi. They spent nearly half a billion dollars to buy that championship. Did they win it? Absolutely, because Joe Girardi is a great manager. He knows how to work with players of all ilks. Look when he signed Luis Cruz in 2013 to play third base. Yankees still won 85 games with essentially no Derek Jeter that season. Girardi works with guys regardless of their stature in this game. So I think it's a perfect signing for him. I think it's good for Harper. I think Harper likes it. And I think they're going to get stability there. Girardi's not going to leave in two seasons. Okay. Now, you are right about a lot of it, but I think Girardi, uh, rather Bryce Harper brings a lot of it on himself. Here's a guy that obviously... Uh, signed a massive contract. To me, you know, he's a heck of a player. His stats have fallen off. I get, I love his play in terms of the way he plays defense, runs after uh, balls, doesn't have a few collisions with the walls. I think he has a huge ego, too. And I think that that's the one thing that when you look at Bryce Harper, okay, and the fact now he has a contract to play up to, he's brought a lot of this criticism on himself, too. You also, he has. You, too, have to look at the markets he's played in. And, look, I'm not saying Bryce Harper has perf- has lived up to the expectations set upon him. I don't think anybody will, just because those expectations were so monumentally high. But it, here's a number I'll throw at you, and I know you don't like analytics the way I do. OPS Plus, the total gauge of, an, of a player's offensive output. Guess who ranks eighth in OPS Plus since debuting in the majors since 2012? 
Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper has lost some value given that he's had a couple of seasons of lackluster defense, but the guy has been perfectly fine, if not one of the 10 best hitters in baseball since he has come up into the league, and that's given injuries and a bad 2018 season. He's been perfectly fine, I, and I understand what you say about the ego, but Bryce Harper, right. the problem with that is he cares. Not most athletes care. Oh, I'm not questioning that, but we're only talking two markets, Lewis. Washington is not that. Well, hold on. Washington is not that bad. You when you talk about other markets that are demanding to play in, you want to talk. The about Phillies something? are one of them. Well, yeah, and then the other ones, New York. I think Washington is not a bad market to play in. When you look at some of the other ones, I don't even know whether Boston's that bad either. Oh, it's the, I would argue it's the worst. Well, okay, but I'm talking about in terms of the amount of media and the fact that Philadelphia is tough. We talked about this before we went on the air. If you're booing Santa Claus and booing everything in sight, and New York, to me, they're a bunch of fair-weather fans, but to New York's credit, you know, they are very knowledgeable baseball people up there, and they have been for many years. So I think Bryce Harper brings a lot of this on himself. Uh, And ironically, he's probably admitted that he uh, would have a chance at a World Series ring, but he didn't think the Washington Nationals were good enough for him and meanwhile, who's got who's, it, who's two wins away from getting a ring that he isn't going to get? Mm-hmm. He thinks he's above the team, and guess what? That thing called humble pie doesn't taste very good. And another thing that doesn't taste very good, Lewis, crow. And you know what? He's eating both of those this postseason. I agree with you. Listen, I'm gonna uh, I'm just gonna continue to defend him. I'm not I'm not gonna say he's been the perfect player, but there's a lot of numbers that you can throw out there that'll say that his first season in Philadelphia wasn't that bad. He, you know, and you know what I'm going to give him credit for, and I feel like you should too, he embraced that city in that first season. Everything that he did, he genuinely wants to win regardless of where he plays more than I think any other player in base, maybe other than Clayton Kershaw. But I think Bryce Harper wants to win more than any other player, and you can't blame the Phillies' failure. Look, I will argue his contract, given its length and value, is exacerbated by the fact that the Phillies were one of the most upsetting teams at the start of this season. Am I wrong? Absolutely not. But was Bryce Harper pitching for the Phillies this year? No. Was he playing left field like Andrew McCutcheon was? No. The The Phillies would have been a playoff team had Andrew McCutcheon been healthy for the remainder of the season. And because of Gene Segura, who didn't run out a pop-out right. that, McCutche- that McCutcheon was on first base for in a June 3rd game against the Dodgers— that, that's the reason they're not in the playoffs. Not only did Segura underperform, but Harper was just fine in the absence of McCutcheon. They just were without pitching and their leadoff hitter all season. All right, let me tell you this. I have never, ever said he didn't embrace the area that he's in. He's always embraced every place he's gone in. That's never been anything that's ever come out of my mouth, ever. I'm just talking about a guy with a large ego. Okay, and I'm going to say this again. Uh, you always want to go ahead and uh, embrace the town that you live in. You really do. I don't care what market you're in, whether you're in Tampa and you play in front of 5,000 fans or New York, whether you play in front of 50,000. That's not the point. He embraced that city, and he knew what he was getting into, so that's never a matter of question. I've never questioned that he doesn't play hard, and I think he's a fine player, and he's going to be paid like a superstar. Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt about that. Are there flaws with the Phillies? No doubt about it, okay? That's why they made the managerial change with a guy who had no experience in Gabe Kapler for two years to one that has an awful lot of experience in Joe Girardi, which at the top of this Okay, I said that was a great hire, and I'll say that. Now, we only have a few minutes before we bring on Nick, okay? 
I'll let you just make a mention of the MVP before we bring Nick Puglisi on the phone. So we were talking about this briefly before the show, and I'll ask you again who you think deserves to win the American League MVP this year. Well, I've always liked uh, Trout. I I always do. Uh, Mike Trout, to me, even when he was battling Miggy for a lot of years, is a foundational generational player. I don't care who he's playing for, whether it's Brad Osmus. I don't care whether he's playing for... Uh, Mike Sosha, or now Joe Madden, and I'll even preface my case by saying that thankfully they hired Madden to get more out of Trout's career. So I have no problem with Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Trout at all. None whatsoever. I'll go out on a limb and say that Mike Trout should have won the MVP of the year. Miguel Cabrera won the Triple Crown. If you want to go by wins above replacement, I believe Cabrera was 6.7 war that year. Trout was 10.5. That's one of the best rookie seasons you're ever going to see. We're going to live the rest of our lives and never see a rookie explode onto the scene the way that he did in 2012. As far as this year goes, I have a couple of numbers. OPS plus, the number that gauges, in my opinion, other than Fangrass metric, weighted runs created plus, which this number, both of these metrics convey total offensive output by a respective player. Mike Trout's OPS plus in comparison to Alex Bregman, the Astros' third baseman, who is one of the three finalists along with DJ LeMahieu. You know, we're not going to discredit him a great season, but a lot of his numbers pale in comparison to the aforementioned two. Trout's OPS plus is 185. Bregman's 162. If you're above league, if you're 100 is league average, that's what I want to preface this with. But, you know, if, you're, if your OPS plus is 120 and you're, you know, you know, going far and above that, Harper, by the way, 125 this year, so still another fine season for him. Trout's OPS Plus is 23 points higher than LeMahieu. Here's another number I'll throw at you. On-base percentage. I love on-base percentage. Bregman said at the outset of this year he wants to be a 400-on-base guy. He did that. 423 on-base. He drew 119 walks. Trout's on-base percentage is 438. Trout has become Ted Williams, but with better defense in center field. Another number I'll throw at you. The last one I'll throw at you. Offensive winning percentage. This is a number that takes... It's a hypothetical, but it takes your one player and it puts, spreads it across every single position on the field. Trout's offensive winning percentage this year was 815. Bregman's was 775. War, the last, and I, I know I said offensive winning percentage was the last one. War is the last one I'll go to. Bregman's war in 156 games was 8.4. Trout's in 134 was 8.3. He equ- essentially equated his value in 20 plus less games because he missed essentially the month of September. Uh- He's the American League MVP. Okay, the only number I'm going to throw at you, and we're done with the numbers, but I appreciate the fact that you have them, is LeMayhew's a bargain at $12 million a year, $24 million. I don't think that makes an MVP, but I agree with you. I just said it was a bargain at $24 million. Oh, I definitely, I thought he was going to get more. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. That's it. Okay, that's it. But I I enjoy the fact that you brought those up. That's it. Okay, but I'll give you your due on that. So with that said, okay, I'm going to bring Nick Huglisi on the line. He's the... uh, Sports editor for the uh, Palm Beach Post, and uh, Nick's a guy that I've I've known for a long, long time. So uh, looking forward to having Nick on the program, uh, and he's a guy that I work with with the Tampa Tribune, and uh, he's currently working. And hey, Scott. Yes. How are you, Nick? I'm good. How are you? All right. Welcome to the Sports Exchange. You are live with myself and Louis Adio Weiss. Glad to have you. Well, it's good to be on. I'm glad I'm alive, too, because I wouldn't want to be the other thing. That would not be a good thing. Oh, well, that's all right. I am, too. So let's talk about what I wanted to talk about initially. You and I are teammates again, aren't we, Nick? 
Yes, yes, we are. We're teammates. We go way, way back, and uh, it's good to have hooked up with you again. And you're going to be helping out the Palm Beach Post and uh, do some good writing and reporting for us. Oh, I'm excited, man! Let's talk about our history with a guy who's new to the industry. Man, we go back to those days at the Tampa Tribune, the Post Breakfast. Best part about my reunion with you, though, is we're only doing a little bit of high school. The rest is going to be big time, isn't it, Nick? Yeah, no, it really is. It's, uh, I mean, it all starts in sports, as you know, in high schools. And, 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 and even at this point, you start your career doing high schools, and you find yourself still doing it because that's where it all starts. And, uh, in fact, you're just a little while ago, I'm listening to the, the game, the Palm Beach Gardens, Palm Beach Central game is on for a district title. I was listening to the radio broadcast for that, and, you know, it's like, like you, have to never, you never escape from that. No, you don't. But I got to tell you, I had a lot of fun working for the Tampa Tribune back then doing it. But one of the things I really enjoyed doing, and only certain writers were eligible to do it, is I enjoyed covering the Florida State League uh, and the Tampa Tarpons back then. And that was a lot of fun. And I even had that over you because you got to do all the good stuff, man. <laughs> no, no, minor league baseball. I, I, I have a love for minor league baseball. The sad thing is that you know when, when the when the Rays came in, which was a good thing for the area, but also was a bad thing for minor league baseball. You know, they kind of killed it in that area when, once the, once the Rays came in. But uh, but I remember going to many many Tarpons games at uh, the old old stadium, Al Lopez, right, Old Al Lopez Field, and that's where the Reds trained for a long time. Yeah, I did some spring training over there, and I, and the nicest part about the Tampa Tribune was. They gave me the opportunity to do some uh, – I did some spring training, but I also got to work for Reds View Magazine uh, out in Cincinnati. Okay. Rick Nelson, boy, you talk about a guy – I mean, I can tell you all the people that we work with, some of the greatest out there. Rick Nelson was great. Tom Ford loved Joey Johnston, Jim Henry, Joe Henderson. Gosh, am I – Herb Branham, am I leaving some out? Go ahead, Tom McEwen, I love him. It's funny you talk how the world – it's all connected. I actually, you know, uh, sent a message, email, you know, Jim's a sports rep, the uh, Tallahassee Democrat, which is still going to be one of our sister papers when uh, Gannett and Gatehouse end up merging here a little bit. But uh, they had a story, I guess they're saying, Rod, Governor DeSantis is basically not in favor of the law they passed in California of college athletes getting, you know, pay for play. And so he came out about it. So we're looking for some reaction from, obviously, from Florida State. I, I got a hold of Jim and they sent us their story, and we, we pulled some stuff out of it. So I, 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 I try to talk to Jim now and message him on a regular basis, and we go way, way back. Yeah, well, I tell you, when I went back, when I first started working there, obviously Joey uh, hired me, and I used to do a lot of work with uh, Jim Henry, Herb Branham. Again, I, I don't want to feel like I'm leaving some guys out here. And if I've re- been redundant, so be it. They were wor- they're worth being redundant anyhow. But uh, why don't you let a lot of people know that uh, – the connection that the South Florida Tribune slash South Florida Tribune Broadcasting Network is going to have with the Palm Beach Rose. Give them a little bit of an overview about what we can expect for this joint working relationship. Yeah, well, like I said, we're going to help you use your and your, your expertise to help us cover you know, events in, uh, in, in mostly in Palm Beach County and everything from high schools to small spring training, maybe even some uh, some Kaiser University of Florida, Atlantic University. Uh, we talked about even uh, doing, going up to Sebring, you know, the, the, the big race up at Sebring. So we're going to, like I say, take advantage of, the, of what you can do for us. And uh, like I say, we, we're looking forward to that relationship and uh, getting back together again. Oh, I know. I was excited. You know, I like to joke around with people, even though we're not getting paid for this, okay? I still have to make sure that you know the difference between Flanagan's and Duffy's because you didn't quite figure it out the day we went out to eat. 
you know, it's all one same thing. I, I tell you, the older you get, it all blends together. You know, like I say, right. just I, I have two daughters. I'm always confusing them. Same thing with sports bars. I get very confused. Well, you know what's so funny about that trip to lunch? I passed by the place twice because I was looking for Duffy's, and no, it's right here. So, well, you know, Nick, uh, if I look at the letters in the alphabet, okay, D becomes before F, as in Duffy's before Flanagan's, and even though we have green on the restaurants, it was the wrong green. But it was still a blast. It was green. It was green, right? See, that was one connection. You're right. And it's a sports bar. There's another connection. See, I'm not that far off. No, the only thing that you were missing, though, with that, Nick, is that I know Duffy's is an MVP card, and I'm piling up points. So when we go out there and have some of our lunches out there, we'll have my Duffy's MVP card in the future. And I'll make sure you do and get get to the other one. So, That's uh, a good deal. Yeah, so with that said, okay, uh, I know I don't want to leave Lewis out in the cold here, but he's my young guy who I'm grooming, and we're turning him into a broadcaster slash writer. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the World Series that features two West Palm Beach teams, and I'm definitely going to have a good piece of that action, right, Nick? That I'll have a chance to cover the Astros and the Washington Nationals. So yep, let's yep, talk yep, about that, what it means to the area. Yeah, first time in history as we've been fighting, you guys were saying the last couple of days that we all been writing and talking about that two teams that train in the same spring training complex are in the World Series, and uh, and that's very exciting for a lot. They're even having the watch party tomorrow night out there at the ballpark of the Palm Beach, where fans can go out and sit in the field and infield, or, or sit in the stands and watch the game on the big screen, and and that's going to be a big game because uh, I mean, who would have expected the Nationals to win both games in Houston to be up 2-0 coming home to play the first World Series game in our nation's capital since 1933? That's that's just amazing. Yeah, so let's talk about the economic impact of what it will mean in West Palm Beach this coming year with those two teams being there. Do you think there'll be a lot more energy and more vibrations uh, this year more so than ever, including yeah. when the park yeah. actually opened up? I, I think so. We had a story a couple of days ago from our Tom D'Angelo where basically a couple of years back uh, when the Astros had won the, the World Series you know, a couple of years ago, the, next, the following spring there was definitely a spike up in tickets. And they're speculating that now with both teams being in, this, in the series, obviously one of them is going to win, that next year will be the same thing. There will be a spike up in, t- in, t- in tickets. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's no doubt they're going to take advantage of that. And it's uh, yeah, these, these are teams that, I mean, the Astros are going to be good for a while. They've been good for a while. And I think the Nationals, I don't think anybody expect the Nationals where they were back in May. To May. If you had told me, told me back at the end of May when they were, whatever their awful record was, that this team would be in the World Series, I would have taken that bet. Uh, Lewis has a question for you. Well, no, not a question, but they were 19-31 and 31 after their first 15 games, Nick. I mean, they were pretty bad. They weren't clicking on all cylinders. I mean, Scherzer was pitching well at the time, but we saw he'd soon go down with a back injury, I believe, at the early part of July, even after they started playing well. So, yeah, they were bad, but the narrative that I've been championing is that not only are they this team of destiny, but they kind of remind me of the 2003 Marlins. You know, a young team that f- fired a manager in Jeff Torborg after a 19-29 and 29 start, I believe. You know, you have Miguel Cabrera come up in June, hit the walk-off against the Rays in his first ever game. It's the home run off of veteran Clemens in the World Series, the same way we kind of saw the stud pitcher that Garrett Cole is challenge Soto, strike him out on three pitches, and what does he yep. do? His next at bat, he takes a ball and hits it near the train tracks in Houston, a 20-year-old hitting a shot like that. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, little ways that you can cut and splice how similar that these teams are, but they do remind me of that 03 Marlins team, you know, with the adversities that they faced and overcome. I mean, let me know if you agree. 
no, no, I, I think you're right. Those are great comparisons, and, and I, I agree. And you mentioned Soto. I mean, again, before this series, if you're taking bets, you said who's going to be the MVP. You probably pick one of the pitchers on these on these two staffs. So right now, it's probably Soto, the kid who's the best player at playing out there. He also dr- turns 21 tomorrow. Shares a birthday with me, so yeah. that'll be fun. I'll be celebrating with Juan Soto. Happy birthday! There you happy go. Birthday. Let thank you. Appreciate that. Let's see if he can um, hit a home run on his birthday. I believe nine players have done that in the World Series before. I'm not. Ah, that, that's that's a good trivia. Who's the nine players? Do you know? Love it. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I do remember hearing that. I'd have to look that up, though. I mean, you'd have wow, to. Wow. Okay. That, that's that's a great because you think about the odds of that. First of all, even being in the World Series on your birthday and then hitting a home run. That's that's. That's pretty rare, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm, surprised, I'm surprised nine have done it. Let me tell you what, Nick. While you're developing talent up at the Palm Beach Post, I got one here with the Tribune here uh, that nah, obviously I, knows I, a lot I, about yeah. it, too. Who would have ever thought That's you good. and I, Nick, uh, many, many years ago would be in situations, and I know the aging circle of life thing comes into play here, that we're in the process of trying to be more mentors than anything else. Uh, yeah, we it, was- Guys, I'm going to interrupt you. You're a lot older than I am, though. You're 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 old. I'm very young, you know. So I don't know what you're talking about. I'm oh, okay. Kidding. I'll take your word for it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. No, no, go ahead. Let me interrupt you. Go ahead. You're right. No, you're no. Right. I don't you're care. Right. You're you're yeah. title interrupt me. We used to do it many years ago. Why wouldn't we do it now? All we're doing is well, picking up where we left off. So, I mean, no, no. We were mentored back in the day. Now it's nice if you can mentor people, and I, I do the same thing at the post. And uh, I think it's a wonderful thing that we can do. Yeah. So tell me, how long have you been back at the uh, been with the post? I know you said you went in the newsroom, but then you were elevated to the sports center. Yeah, I came back uh, five five. I mean, five what little five years change when I came back. I was on what they call the bridge. You know what that is? Basically, uh, you're handling everything from news to sports, the features, the business. Right. You know, I like can copy anything, and you're It's not just the post. It's also it's also you know, PalmBeachPost.com, right. the online part of it. You're doing all that. I was working those nights. And then the sports editor, Mark Bradley, actually took a job at the Washington Post. So he's up there now in D.C. And a job came up in last October. And, you know, I've been a sports editor, as you know, in Tampa. And I've been right. a sports editor also in Iowa. And I was thinking, that ah, those my sports editing days are over. And everybody kept coming, saying, you're going to apply for the job. And I wasn't sure. I said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to apply for the job. I love it too much. And. And I think I can do a good job. And so I applied and interviewed, and, and thankfully they hired me a year, a year ago, October. And so, yeah, I just pretty much just completed my first year of sports editor down here. But it really has changed so much, Scott, from when we were younger to when I was even sports editor in Tampa because, uh, you know, it's not like it used to be. And, and we're doing a lot lot with it, a lot less and uh, a lot of less resources. And we don't travel as much. And every, the paper is smaller and deadlines are earlier. But you still like to put out a quality product and serve the, serve the readers. You know, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, it's funny. I was going to ask you that question, but GMTA, you know what that stands for? So, say it again. GMTA. GM. No, what does it stand for? Great minds think alike. Ha <laughs> uh, okay. ha. I was going to say good morning. No, okay. You're right. Great minds think alike. Oh, come go. on, Nick. Uh, other than the fact I've gained a few pounds since we were working together, and uh, a lot more gray hairs, you know, uh, we definitely uh, are able to. I think the one thing that's so nice about having you on the program too, though, Nick, is the fact that when I left the Tribune and I graduated from USF, you know, I covered the Detroit Lions and you covered the Tampa Bay Bucks, and I know we used to see each other twice a year, and I think that's what made it even more interesting. Once upon a time, I used to have to compile statistics in high school, and now all of a sudden, 
we get to we get to pig out at these NFL stadiums, and they get to have other people do it for us. So I mean, yeah, boy, how life well, changes. Yeah, you're right. And you said that was my point about high school. When you cover high school sports, you have to do everything. You keep your own stats. Yeah. You're going down to get codes, and you're walking the field, and and it's crazy. You have no replays, and you cover an NFL game. You can cover an NFL game, and, you, and from, you know, from in your sleep because they really provide you with everything. You know, they, and if you miss a play, you're going to see the replay about ten times, and you got stats and play by play and all that. So yeah, the hardest thing to cover, I. The, no, no doubt about it. Our high school sports. Yeah, they, they, yeah. Lewis, they have to worry about that. His first game, by the way, just so you know, with me, is what been with Florida Atlantic University, and uh, at least they're able to provide you with a few things. The only thing that Lewis had a problem yeah. with FAU was a little bit too much barbecue, right, Lewis? Well, no, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all I had was like a, a pork roast sandwich or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely a fun first experience for me to kind of get in there and. Uh, you yeah. know, we, we met um, one of your writers, I believe Jake Elman was there, so, you know. Jake Elman, yeah, covers FAU for us. Jake, Jake just graduated from FAU, and uh, he's working, you know, part-time for us as Stringer, and he's, he's, he does a very good job on FAU. Yeah, very nice to meet him. You know, we got to talk to him a little bit while we were there. So let's talk about the fact that for a while you were in Iowa. Tell me what that experience was like being up in uh, Iowa compared to being back in Florida. I mean, that's definitely culture shock if I ever saw one. You know, I could talk about this for hours, but knowing that you spent some of your life in Michigan, which obviously has very similar cold winters and cold weather, I mean, I just know, I mean, I always tell people when we moved up there, I moved up in the summer to kind of get going, and I left, I was married at the time, and my, my wife and two daughters, they were still in Florida, we had to sell a house, and they, the girls were starting school. I came back in October to get them, and I left, uh, I, I got back to Florida, I want to say it was like 90 degrees the day we drove up to Iowa to move up there. And by the time we got to Iowa, the temperature was in the 20s. It was like a 70-degree difference. I remember my your wife at the time looking at me and saying, is it always going to be this cold? I said, ah, no, it's going to get colder. You know, so <laughs> the winters are brutal. I mean, it was, it was cold. But I'll tell you one thing. The rest of the year, the spring, the summer, the fall is beautiful. Unlike Florida, true change of the seasons. And I got to see life in the Midwest, the different, you know, slice of life and my girls got the experience on that, but I, but I enjoyed it. And sports editor, and like I said, but I always knew I'd get back to Florida, and, and, and luckily I, I am back here. And this is where I want to be. This is where I spent most of my life. My family's here, and uh, as crazy as this state is, and it will always be crazy. It's home, and uh, and that's it. So, all right, Nick, I've got to ask you because I know a lot of people would like to do it. Tell me who the biggest influence in your career as, as a sports writer slash writer has been. Boy, I mean, as I grew up. New Jersey, reading all the New York papers, and I always remember, you know, Dick Young was kind of a nasty, I got to know him later on in life, but I can't remember, he was a nasty guy, but I always remember what a great reporter and columnist he was, because he really was one of the first ones to go into a clubhouse and get quotes and work beats and stuff like that, and I figured, that's how you cover teams, so, but, but when I got to Tampa, I started actually, you know, growing up or so. I mean, Tom McCune, who was the longtime sports editor columnist, was always was always a mentor to me and uh, you know, someone I could admire because Tom, no matter how big of a deal he, he thought he, he was, I, I think he was, I should say, he was always down to earth and treated everybody alike and was always ready to help out young writers and young people. There are a lot of people on that station. There are a lot of people, this writers, sports writers and columnists in this country who are have attitudes and, and look down on people and stuff, and, and Tom never did. And, and they're just little things through the years that he would teach you about covering a team and how to do things the right way, and I still carry those this day. Yeah, it's amazing, too. Uh, you know, when I was working back there uh, those couple years, and of course I got to know Tom as, once again, I covered the Lions for a lot of years, 
And, you know, you're right. Tom was never too big to talk to the little guys starting out. And a lot of sports editors are there, but Tom was not that individual. And another guy that I liked working with there was a guy by the name of Joe DeSalvo, Mike O'Keefe, just a few other yep. names yep. that I'm going to throw out there. But Tom, to me, was just definitely one of a kind for sure. You know, you know, people don't realize that Tom has passed away, unfortunately, a few years ago. But, but he was the kind of sports editor, or a columnist, I should say, also, who really pretty much ran sports in Tampa, which today, I mean, it was unethical and a lot of things that were like gray areas. But he had Tampa's interest at heart. And if it wasn't for Tom McHugh, I will argue this the day I die, that Tampa Bay would not, there would not be the Buccaneers there or Tampa Stadium or all the things that came afterwards, the Lightning, because he was very instrumental in getting those sports there. And, uh, you know, that was just, these days, those things just don't happen. Yeah, I, I've actually heard that, too. I think the thing that I always liked, Tom, was just the fact that he made everybody feel so much better. Now, the one thing that's changed, though, when we started out, and that you and I are both old-school guys that are getting acclimated to, is this thing called social media. Nick, who would have ever have thought guys like you and I and a lot of other people out there would have to depend on social media at the manner that we do. We don't have the Lewis Adiel Weisses that were brought up with this stuff. We're talking about Scott Morganroth <laughs> and Nick Puglisi who had to deal with wire services and all that stuff. We're not used to this, Nick. Well, you know, but, but the, 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 the truth of the matter, Scott, you know this too, is that this is where people get their information to them. I mean, right. whether it's on Snapchat or whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or, or any other thing you can think of. I mean, this is where, especially the young people, that's where they go to get their news. And if you're not on there, you're, you're doing disservice to what you're reporting. So you got to put your stories there and link back to different things and engage your readers. And, and, and that's what you do. My biggest regret, I remember when this was starting way back in the early days of the Internet, but everybody kept saying what a great thing it was going to be because we get to interact with our audience and, you know, there'd be some great conversations and back and forth and give and take. And unfortunately, the trolls have taken over. I mean, it's where the point where, I mean, you read an article online, a great article, and you go to the comments, and every comment's a negative comment. They'll find one thing to pick at or, or make fun of or something, and it's just like, why did this happen? Why did the trolls take over? And, they, and that's unfortunate. It really is. Do you find it sometimes, Nick, that now we've gone to the digital age? You know what I like about the digital age? is you don't have to worry about stories being cut and certain contents being taken out now that you have the online newspaper presence out there. Do you find that that's actually beneficial? I realize the editing chore is a bit difficult, but how do you like the fact that now we don't have to worry about cutting as much as we have in the past? Well, it's good and bad. And I think, you know, to me online, I like shorter stories and more things like that. I don't want necessarily a very long story online, but there is an audience for that. People enjoy that. But you have to be careful because you're right. You, you got that freedom. But then again, some people just go too far and they write these monstrosity stories that really do not need to be that long, you know, because they can do it. So, uh, you know, there's a good bad thing, I guess, is what I'm saying on, on that. But, uh, but yeah, there are many times with the space of the paper where you have to cut things back and, and you hate doing that. Now, yeah, you could put the full story online. I think of all the things that I actually covered with, with the Tampa Tribune and, and I, being a baseball guy, and Lewis is definitely the, one of the brightest young guys I've ever seen. His baseball knowledge is off the charts. But me personally, I love covering the Tampa Tarpons. I did. Being associated with the Cincinnati Reds, you know, doing some of their fantasy stuff, which Rick Nelson, Mike O'Keefe, Tom McEwen, and the, et cetera, gave me the freedom to do. And I'll never forget the time, Nick, when, you know, I was trying to get the Tarpons beat, 
And, you know, there was myself and another one competing, and, you know, O'Keefe and DeSalvo said, you know what, I'm trying to sell myself to get it, and DeSalvo gives me this old southern look there. You know what, you're the guy I wanted all along to do it anyways. I just wanted to see how far you could go with it, and, and we had a blast doing it. And little did people realize, though, that for me to stay employed year-round to pay my way through USF, I needed that summer income and ordered, right. and I was fortunate to have the tarpons to fall back on. Yeah, that's good. That's that's very good. But no, yeah, it's this kind of thing where you got to you know, pay your dues a little bit. Somehow you do things like that. You get appreciation when you finally do get to go cover the Detroit Lions or move on in life. You you kind of started with the you know down there whether it's high schools or minor league baseball or whatever. And but yeah, there are still great stories down there and things that need to be covered. So tell me, do you guys ever cover much Florida State League baseball with the post, or do you want to do it? Uh, down the road. Uh, years ago, no, years ago we did obviously because we have more space, more time, and more people, and, and whatever. And I think there's more interest now. I, I hate to say there's very little interest. So usually, when it comes to minor league baseball, what we'll do is if there's a great story there, there we did a couple out over the summer, a couple of great stories. We'll we'll do them, and that's pretty much about the extent of it. Yeah, I think the one thing too that uh, the Florida State League, I think, is one of the best le- uh, minor league. Uh, in the country, I really do. When you consider the prospects that have come out of there, and we know full well that a lot of these guys are playing at the best facilities around there. And I'll even take it a step further, Dick. When we went out, my wife and I went out to Arizona a couple of years ago. I'm amazed at some of the facilities that they've actually, uh, you know, they're making these year-round facilities. That was unheard of back in the day for us. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I can still remember going to see Marley games. They're very riggedy old ballparks, and there really wasn't much there. And now, you're right, these, some of these places are, are, are pretty, I mean, they're still taking the long bus trips, and it's still not the major leagues, but the parks and the amenities and the clubhouses and all that are, are certainly a lot nicer. Do you find it nowadays, Nick, you know, Palm Beach Post rules all of Palm Beach County. Uh, how far north do you guys go? We, we pretty much use Palm Beach County these days. You know, we used to go up to, like, Mark County and up that area up there, you know, even Port St. Lucie and, and down into Broward a little bit. But anyone all the way over to Sebring, but that was back in the day. Now it's pretty much Palm Beach County now. With that said, there's a good story. We've done these one county over, like a Mark County. We still might do that, but we don't really cover, and I wish we did, but we really don't cover, like, the high schools like we used to when, you know, back in the day. Is that due mainly staffing issues right now or just a cut back in the budget? It's, it's everything. It's, it's staffing. It's, it's the fact that, you know, the interest is, I mean, we find it especially online that the interest in, in our online is if you want to go to Palm Beach County, you know, and, and uh, it, it's just it's just a lot of things. It's, it's expenses. It's, yeah, I, I wish, I just times I wish I wish that wave the magic wand and go back the way it was where we, we had a little bit, you know, because there was a certain time there were papers where the advertising was very strong and we were making good money. We could afford to do a lot more things, have bigger staffs, bigger papers, and travel more and do things. And, those days aren't here now, so you got to be smart about it. Our, our coverage has to focus in on Palm Beach County. Right, and and when you break everything down, think about the Sun Sentinel obviously owns Broward County. The Miami Herald right. owns Dade County. And I right. think the, one of the most depressing things I've seen, and I think we both know it since we're Tampa Tribune alumni anyhow, is how the Tampa Times uh, obviously took over the area. I remember when it was the St. Petersburg Times, you had Hubert Mizell as the sports editor there, and then Tom McEwen. And I can't believe that the Tampa Bay area only has one paper. Yep. And that, to me, just boggles my mind. It really does. 
Yeah, no, I'm very, obviously, I'm not happy, upset about that. No longer the Tampa Tribune, no longer exists. Even the building is, it's all gone, knocked down, and they made condos on the river in, in Tampa. And, uh, you know, that's very unfortunate. Any, any market loses the paper. It's, it's a sad, sad, depressing day. But, I mean, they, they, they really, you mentioned it's hard to lose only one paper, but even the Tampa Bay Times, us, they would have called the St. Pete Times. I mean, they're struggling because they're very leveraged. They've had to borrow a lot of money through the years, and uh, and they're hurting. You know, and it would be amazing to me if they were folded as a newspaper, to have no newspaper in the Tampa Bay area. That, that would just boggle the mind. But uh, it's the world we live in because that was the other myth of the Internet besides that, you know, Social media, all this stuff would be would be good. I mean, the myth was back in the day when you're not first started. All the advertising that newspapers had would go online, and everything everybody would live happily ever after. And that never happened. The advertisers went away, and classifieds went away, and none of the ads went to online, and, and that's why all these companies are hurting today. So, are you saying that the Tampa Bay Times? And I'm just asking you because I I want to make sure I get clarity on this. Okay, that they're having some major financial problems too, or am I not hearing it properly? Well, if you read this, the stuff up there, the Tampa Bay Business Journal, and I, a lot, a lot of people put these things on Facebook, and I read them, you know, and they're pretty good reporters. That yeah, they're they're very leveraged out, and uh, you know, the, the lenders and banks calling these loans. I mean, they they are you know, they've been struggling financially for a while, and uh, you know, they've had to do certain things. I'm sure they don't want to do, and but it's hard to believe that with one newspaper in that market, that they would be struggling. But a lot of it was well, yeah, it goes back. In the advertising, now even with the Tribune going away, then the advertising necessarily flow over to the St. Pete Times, and, and that's that's always been the bottom line. I mean, there, I mean, it's amazing. You go back in the day, you see those old papers. I saw some of them; they were huge, and there was ads on every page. And we, I guess we were making money hand over fist, and the classifieds would would fill up, you know, sometimes two or three sections. And now, yeah. I mean, a lot of it's Craigslist, and, and the internet's what's happening. <laughs> I mean, you see very little classifieds in newspapers these days, and the little bit that's there is not making any money because they're you're really just about giving it away. It's amazing how you're actually bringing up Craigslist on this conversation. And when I look at the days when I was working in the bureaus, and I in Tampa I had an opportunity to work for a lot of different ones. East Hillsboro, Herb Branham was running the show. Jim Henry, Northwest. Chris Harry, obviously, was a guy I really liked working with. I think he had Northside for a while. And I know I'm probably missing out on some, so... If I get crucified by those alumni that are missing, I'll make it up to you on another show since I'm running this thing anyways. But I think, I think I'm covering a lot of them, though, aren't I? Am I, am I leaving some names out that yeah. I shouldn't? No, those, those are the guys who were back there who run the bureaus. You're absolutely right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that just, just, and back then, we had bureaus. We had different editions. We had just, I mean, the, the sections were huge, and that just, that's... Yeah, that's not gonna. That's it's not gonna. And the shame is, we have a lot of readers that are older readers who remember those days, and, and they they want it back, and they wish they were back, and they're just not gonna ever come back, and, and that's unfortunate. Now, you guys recently wrote a story, I believe, if I read it correctly, on Facebook, about the Palm Beach Stadium uh, not being paid off. I think there's money to be owed. I don't want to get into an elaborate discussion on that, but I, I found that to be a very interesting story. That you're talking 153 million is what it costs to build it, and that thing's not paid off for whatever reason or well, Yeah, I think it's a lot of it with the contractors, the subcontractors, a lot of things going back and forth with that. And remember, they kind of rushed to get it open that first year, and I guess they must. Have, I mean, I don't know what would happen if it's a lot of issues because of that. And I guess where a lot of that's coming from. But uh, you know, you tell me, name a big project these days that doesn't have these kind of issues and stuff. It seems to always happen, and you know, unfortunately. Okay. 
All right, let's, go, let's talk a couple more things. We're running out of time here, but I want to make sure we address these. Obviously, uh, some of my main responsibilities in the spring is you and I are going to place a heavy emphasis on spring training. Is that correct? You and I, we do well, a lot of things. We want to do spring training. We did some last year. We want to do more. And we didn't have the people to help us cover last year. So hopefully, with you on board, we'll get some more games covered. And, uh, you know, like I said, we'll go big on the ballpark, the Palm Beaches, which is the uh, Houston Astros and the uh, – uh, uh, Washington Nationals, but we also we also cover up in Jupiter where the uh, St. Louis Cardinals and the uh, the Marlins had their spring training, and we would go as far as up to uh, we would go up to Port St. Lucie and, and occasionally do some Mets stuff because, as you know, there are a lot of New York fans down here. And then what's right. neat about it is when the Yankees come in or the Red Sox come in or whoever else comes in, we will do stories on on those teams when they when they come down here. Well, you can rest assured on national radio, Nick Buglisi, I will be making the East Coast track East Coast track to every one of them. You don't have to worry about that. Of course, back in the day, I didn't know much about Sebring, but I had my first opportunity to cover Sebring um, last year, and I'm actually looking forward to that. I think it's just going to be different, knowing that I'm able to write these things for the South Florida Tribune and the Palm Beach Post as well. So that's the one thing few people uh, people don't realize. So uh, a couple more things before we get you out of here. Uh, uh, How many of the old guys do you stay in touch with on a regular basis or uh, very much at all? Not as many as I would like, and, uh, and this is where I hate to use it as excuse, but that's where Facebook comes in because quite a few, Joe Henderson and, and, and Joey, Jim Henry, a lot of these kids, Chris Harry, they're on Facebook, and they, they put things about their families and slice on there, or even they even post stories and stuff, which I enjoy reading and commenting on, so that's one way of doing it. On occasion, I do get back to Tampa and I look up a few of them, and, you know, but I wish I wish I could do it more often and see them more often, but... Uh, you know, it's not exactly around the corner, and they got their lives. I've got my life. So, but they're always—they're uh, never far away. And these are people that I grew up with. I mean, I started working at the Tribune. I was 21 years old. We sat at the University of Florida. We all kind of grew up together. And I think once that happens, and you share all those bonds and memories, that they'll always be there. Yeah, another guy that I actually had a chance to see at the reunion was Mick Elliott. Mick looks fantastic. He really does. Joe Henderson looks great. Uh, I'm trying to think of the guy. Uh, from Channel 13, Irv, Ira Kaufman, there we go, wasn't it? Ira, yeah, Ira, yeah, Ira, yeah. I keep in touch on that, he's another one, I keep it, and then what's funny is you, where we live, you want to hear from these guys for a while, and I was out of the blue, they'll drop you a line, or, you know, there's something like that, and then what's nice about it is, like, when, when we do share each other's stuff, when I got the job at Sports Center, I heard from a lot of those folks, which is very nice, whenever those guys do good things up there, I try to congratulate them, let them know, you know, if they win the award, or, or do something, or break a big story, and, you know, I, I, I say just they're just good people, and uh, yeah, we were very. I tell you, we had a heck of a. I look back at those days, and we had a heck of a sports staff. We really did. Yeah, you know, I think what's so nice about the sports staff, Nick, was the fact that no matter what you were covering, whether you're in the Lakeland Bureau, although not many of them came out there. Actually, when I was done with USF, Mike O'Keefe was going to transfer me out there. Unfortunately, I had a car that broke down. I didn't have another set of wheels, but I would have liked to have gone. But I ended up moving on to professional baseball after that. But the one thing I will say a lot of times is anytime you have a close-knit outfit, and Lewis is finding that out with us here, that it's always good to know that your family isn't just what you, who you work with, but the people that take an interest. And that's the one thing that we can say that I've tried to take from the Tampa Tribune and have uh, built instilled here, right, Lewis, at the South Florida Tribune. No, absolutely. I mean, we pride ourselves on professionalism and, you know, working to build the brand. Good. Good. Lewis, I want to ask you a question. Where'd you go to school? I went to so I went to Monarch High School in Coconut Creek, and then I got my degree in communications from Florida Atlantic University. I actually just graduated in August. Oh, 
Oh, okay, good. Congratulations on that. Very good. So let me ask you, I'm obviously very young, just starting out in the business. Why do you want to be in this business? So I always wanted to, uh, an old something I always told myself is I never wanted to find myself doing something I didn't want to do. And mm-hmm. two of my passions in my life have always been music and, and baseball. They're the two things I care the most about and pretty much the two things other than, you know, some football that I'll write. Uh, they're the two things that I enjoy writing about the most because I feel like they're the two things I can most articulate well because I generally tend to um, come up with better stories and just convey certain feelings and thoughts better when I have a passion for it. I I call it selective favoritism. But, um, you know, I've always wanted to, you know, I've loved baseball ever since I was a little kid. And I, you know, my dad was a big Yankees fan, but I just took to it more than he did. So, my, my, I mean, my primary aspiration is to one day be like a national kind of baseball writer, and that's you know that's what I right. want to do more than anything. So I mean, yeah, good good pretty much it's just that love from childhood that's never really um, kind of gone away as I've grown older and mature, and I guess you know just with the passage of time that that adoration for the sport has never dawned. So with that said, Nick, what what did, had you aspired to be a sports writer back in the day? Well, I, mean, I do a lot of talks to high school, you know, journals and classes and, 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 and such. And uh, that, that question always comes up. And I'm always glad to answer it. I always tell them, you know, I was in high school. I played baseball. And I wanted to be the next Mickey Mantle because I was a Yankees fan. But I stunk. I couldn't hit or I couldn't feel. So I wasn't going to be the next Mickey Mantle. But I also could write. And I had a teacher one time kind of say to me, you know, what do you think about for a career? So I, I was a junior in high school. I said, I don't really know you. Sure, sure. You ought to look at the writing because you're a very good writer. And, and I said, yeah, but I don't know if I'd want to. And she then kind of tried thinking, wait a minute, I love sports. I love writing. And I'll be a sports writer. And that's what kind of planted the seed. And the next year I'm going to University of Florida, majoring in journalism and, and uh, working for the campus, the alligator. I became a sports writer. And I, and really, I always say, why do you want to do this? But here I am, I've been in this business for four decades, and I still love it. So, you know, if I still do love it, obviously there's got to be something. Either I'm really stupid or I'm really smart, you know. And I think I'm really smart. I do love it, and I'll keep doing it until I can't do it anymore. And I'll give you my basic overview. I, I'm being from the metro Detroit area. Many years ago, I used to like doing play-by-play for the Detroit Red Wings at my Aunt Tina's house. And she liked it so much, she inspired me to be a broadcaster. But I backed, yeah. so I backed into it on the broadcasting side with my first job being a producer at uh, ABC Radio, and then it landed me writing opportunities. And obviously, writing and radio uh, obviously go hand in hand. And obviously, it led to lots of other opportunities. Anything you want to add before we uh, let Nick go? So I kind of have a similar story, and I still kind of do it today when I play, like, sports video games. You know, most of the video games I played growing up, where I was never into, like, those, you know, first-person shooters like Call of Duty and all those kind of games like that. I gravitated towards, <laughs> I gravitated towards like, MLB 2K and, and the show games and Madden, Madden football. So I would all, So even now I'll still do it, and ever since I was a little kid, I'll write, I used to write out like stat sheets and I would just call the game as I saw it go. I mean, you know, who knows whether or not I become a broadcaster. I need to get that deep. I need that cadence that Ernie Harwell and Vince Scully delivered for so many years. But, you know, I always, you know, enjoyed kind of talking about the game. And, um, you know, even, even if I was in my own fairy tale world of playing a video game, I would do that sort of play by play, but in a, you know, in a virtual aspect as opposed to, you know, you actually watching actual games. Me, I was just using, you know, 8-bit video of uh, of players and just kind of simulating it that way and developing my own catchphrases. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, next, everyone gets their start somewhere. I mean, hey, John that's Lennon's right, first guitar absolutely. was a banjo and had two strings, and look where he wound up. So, I mean, there well, you go. Well, there we are, Nick. So now well, we have the South Florida Tribune, the Tampa Tribune reunited, and, of course, now I get the opportunity to rejoin my buddy up at the Palm Beach Post. So, anyways, I'm glad that we could spend a little bit of time here on the air. I'll bet you never thought years ago, Nick, that you would be appearing on my radio show, did you? No, I did, and I've enjoyed it, and got to meet Lewis, very nice, and uh, I wish you guys well, and uh, a good, good conversation, and so on. I'll leave you with one thing. So who wins the World Series? Nats are up two zip. They win it? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, they're the team of destiny, like I said before. They're the 3 Marlins reincarnate, and with better right. pitching. And but I mean, and we'll see if Houston can steal a game tomorrow with Granky on the mound. But he hasn't been good in the postseason. That narrative's kind of continued to fester as he's made each ensuing start. Six forty three this postseason okay. ERA. But yeah, no, Houston are Houston ain't going to win this one, in my opinion. Well. You say okay. Houston? No, I'm not, I, at this, I, th- I oh, said it at okay. the outset, but not anymore. All right, okay. Well, I'm going to go with Washington. You know what? I'm going to end it on this note. I'm going to win because I get to hang out with uh, at West Palm Beach and talk to the people that were involved. Right, Nick? There you go. Absolutely. So with that said, I'll call you next day or so, but glad you had a little bit of fun that we can help you do with the drive a little bit. But thanks for being on oh, the yes. Sports Exchange, and I expect you to be on this more often so we can shoot the breeze. But it's uh, great. I'll be glad to do it. I'm glad to do it. All right, well, good. I'm glad that we brought the link the past from the present, and we got a lot more to do in the present. So, Nick, thanks for being on the Sports Exchange. I'll be in touch uh, next day or so. But right. thanks for being on the program, right. buddy. Drive safe. Good night, guys. Right. Take care. Thank you. You bet. Bye. So with that said, Lewis, now you have a little bit of my background, okay? What are your thoughts about Nick? A very well-spoken, articulate, you know, very nice, you know. It's fun to meet people from your past to see kind of where you came from as far as people who were instrumental in your, you know. I mean, you guys were coworkers. You, I mean, he didn't yeah. mentor you the way that you kind of are me. But, you know, it's nice to see people that were there for you from the beginning and to see how both of you have progressed. And his story is kind of similar to mine with how we kind of got our start right. with wanting to become writers. I had that same experience. I was a freshman in high school, and a teacher told me to do it because she had me do a report on a career, and I did a sports writer and a broadcaster, and, you know, she thought that was a natural fit. And from there, you know, I could thank her. I'll give her a shout-out to her, Miss Freeman, my ninth-grade reading teacher. She's the reason I, would be, you know, I'm pursuing this, so. Well, that's good. And like I said, I'm proud that you're on our team, that my goal is not only to do, remember I told you when I hired you to begin with, develop your writing, other things take place. And I'm trying to bring you along the same way that I was brought along anyways. And obviously, you know that you're putting in the work. That's why you share a microphone with myself. But I think the one thing that you've learned as a sports editor for our company and the thing you're going to preach to a lot of the guys that you bring on board, that if you write it, you talk it, right? Mm -hmm. You you know what I'm saying? And and that's most things that most people don't get it. You get it, and that's what I expect you to do when you mentor other guys uh, as time goes on with us. I mean, what's so difficult about that? And that's what I've kind of tried to preach to the people that I've tried to get, you know, working with us and the few people who have tentatively agreed to do so is that just write about what you what you enjoy. Right, right. And, you know, I, you know, I told, you know, a friend who I, you know, plan on having come on with us, that we want a diverse profile. So if we can have somebody, we don't really have many people who cover the NBA on here. If you can take your passion for the NBA and translate that, or in, in regards to anybody, anything that you enjoy and you want to work with us, then, you know, 
come on, you know, you know, we'll be there right here waiting for you. We'll read your stuff and we'll share it and, you know, we'll get your name out there. Well, I think the thing that what Nick and I didn't deal with before that we're forced to deal with that you've actually been brought up doing it. It's let's not downplay the significance of what social media does. Listen, I don't have a Snapchat account. I'm not going to open up that. Don't want to be bothered. I'm content with Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn does what I need it to do. Instagram pictures, whatever. But I'm at, but again, that's not to say you can't have it. I just if you ever run the Snapchat account here, that's on you. I think that what you have to do is have enough. I mean, it's one thing to write good material, right, Lewis? It's another to go out there and have people read it, right? Mm-hmm. You know no, I mean? absolutely. I agree. I concur 100%. Right. And I, I think that that's the one thing that has to be emphasized, that as you go ahead and change, uh, you know, with the ages being what it is, to make sure that we don't lose sight of what we're trying to do now. And, but how many people do you think really register and get it? You know, it's not everybody. <laughs> But anyways, we'll let uh, a guy by the name of Mel Farr go ahead and answer that question. Hey, Mel, how you doing, buddy? Uh, thanks for being on Good, the show. how are you? All right, we're talking about some of these older guys who, uh, you know, uh, when we talk about getting it nowadays with the social media, right, Lewis? Mm-hmm. Was- so go ahead and elaborate on that before we bring on talk about some other things. No, I mean, what were you saying? the social media aspect of it. No, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is just getting people who want to work with you and who are willing to work to, you know, grow the, the profile of the Tribune and just, you know, but th- this applies to literally any business venture that you take part in. And I'm sure you can agree to that, Mel, is that obviously social media presents a dichotomy where, you know, if you're an athlete, a lot of things can get magnified because you see what people say. But if you're someone trying to grow your business, then it's essential. It's you know you can't you, you probably can't even function today without social media. That's very true. Yeah, it's another way where it's not very expensive for somebody to get themselves out there. You know, you get yourself a following individuals, and you get those people who follow those people to follow you, and then next thing you know, the thing kind of spreads like wildfire. So social media, you know, that that it's a big thing nowadays. You know, back obviously when. Scott and I were younger. We had no clue what social media was about. You just kind of had to, you know, you had to get to, you had to pay, you had to pay, do whatever you had to do to get your name out there. Right now, you know, with just hitting sin, you can get your name out there. And with that said, without social media, we don't have topics like Tom Brady trying to figure out what his next destination is. Right, uh, Mel. Let's go ahead and segue into that. All right, the guy's going to become a free agent at the end of the year. And we were kidding around that was, it only deserves about five minutes of our time. So why don't we just talk about a couple of uh, destinations for him before I want to get on to Kelchi Osamali, because that's a one, our big topic. But why don't you chime in on the Tom Brady situation? Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to see him uh, finish somewhere else, but that happens to a lot of great players where they don't finish where they start. And obviously Tom's in a, in a place right now, and he's putting Bill, Bill – uh, Belichick in a, in a in a position where he has to make a decision, but I think it would be interesting. Some of the places that we talked about that he could possibly wind up. You look at teams like Tampa Bay would be a, would be an interesting team. Uh, we talked about uh, Denver. That would be an interesting possibility because you know John Elway's had a, an extremely difficult time filling that position since Peyton Manning left. So I think those two those two destinations to me would be particularly interesting. And then you could also look at uh, the Tennessee Titans as well. You know, there is a relationship there. He, he did play with Vrabel. So that's something that that's something to look at. 
in Miami also as well, because the coach down there in Miami came from New England. So, you know, there's three, four, three or four destinations that would be interesting. Now, Miami probably wouldn't be the best case, place to go because I think that team is young and I think they're a ways away from doing anything offensively or defensively. But I think a team like Denver would be a, would be a great place for them because I think that's a, you know, the only thing that's really missing is a, is a good quarterback. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I know initially uh, I, I think Denver and Tampa, you talked about the Bruce Arians effect. And, again, Bruce Arians works well with quarterbacks, and I think that Jameis Winston's definitely on his last leg for sure. But you guys genuinely believe that Tom Brady's going to play in another uniform before he retires? I mean, listen, he signed a two-year $70 million contract prior to the season, and he does have that opt-out. And I did read the Adam Schefter piece that stated he did sell his house in Massachusetts. But I'm I'm sorry, I just genuinely don't believe that he's going to play anywhere else. And as much as I love Brady, I would argue that it may tarnish his legacy a little bit if he does wind up playing in another uniform. It's like seeing Brett Favre play for the Jets. Like, Yeah, but you know what I'll say, and Mel, you and I can both relate to this. I never thought I'd see Joe Montana playing in Kansas City when he played for uh, San Francisco, and he had to wear 19, not 16. I just don't Absolutely. see. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, look at Peyton Manning. You know, Peyton Manning had to go somewhere else. Right, right. You got to understand that the option is a team option. It's not. A, it's not a player option. Right. That's so true. they're 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 voidable. So the team can void him, and then he becomes a free agent. So basically, he will be a free agent unless you know he Belichick changes his mind. I just don't see. It. I think. I think part of it is Belichick wants to see what he can do without Tom Brady. And I think, in a way, Tom Brady wants to see what he can do without without Bill Belichick as well, because the two are intertwined. And people are always saying, "Well, who is it? Is it because is it because of Belichick that Brady's so great, or is it because of Brady that Belichick has all these wins?" So I think each one of them kind of wants to go their own way to kind of see, you know, what which 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 one is the truth. They're like John and Paul. Who needed more? They're like. Yeah, they're like John and Paul. They're like Siskel and Ebert. I, I mean, I just genuinely can't see the two of them parting ways. I mean, it would be sad, honestly. And you know, I have a friend who's a big Patriots fan. He'd probably be heartbroken. But I just, I would argue in defense of the other quarterbacks like Manning and Montana. I'll, you know, I'll make the appeal to the six rings fallacy and the fact that Tom Brady's six Super Bowls are kind of what have le- given him the leverage to constantly revise these contracts and. You know, just continue to you know make record-setting money at his advanced age because he has that pedigree, and he continues to show he's still one of the you know five to seven best in the league. But I just can't accept the fact of waking up one morning to a headline that says Brady opts out and signs with I don't know Minnesota, and then you find Kirk Cousins down in Jacksonville or some weird you know setting like that. Here's the thing: like I said, it's it's a team option. The 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 last two years are voidable in that contract. The team is going to void those is going to avoid that contract. So he becomes a free agent. That means he's free to sign with who, whoever. Mm-hmm. So there could be people that come to him and offer him a certain amount of money. And he, you know, why wouldn't he go? Well, not only that, too, now, the I... one thing I will say, the one thing I will say is I think if they go undefeated, he'll retire. Oh, well, I mean, that would be the greatest, you know, um, kind of dropping dropping the mic you'll ever see. I mean, I'll ask this one question real quick and then we can move on to something else because like we said we really don't want to spend too much time on it. I understand, you know, you you guys are arguing it's a real possibility and maybe I'm just, you know, living in denial and refuse to accept that because I'd love to see the Cal Ripken effect where somebody plays his whole career with one team. 
But what would you, Scott? I'll ask you, and then Mel, I'll ask you. What would your reactions, respectively, be if you see one day that Tom Brady opts out and he winds up signing a two-year deal with another team? Okay, you ask me. I wouldn't have a problem with it only because of this. Okay, um, Joe Montana. I mentioned that earlier, right, Mel? Okay, Peyton Manning. Yeah. I'm used to it. You and I are. And the thing that you also have to understand, and Mel pointed this out. Okay, is egos are at stake here. They really are. So is it Brady who's going to win the title without Belichick or vice versa? So now you've got an ego bigger than the Titanic. Which one gets bigger? No different than Kobe winning without Shaq and vice versa. Anytime you have egos in place, okay, it's not like Brady has to take a pay cut because he's given money back before to get other players. You know what I mean, Mel? So it wouldn't surprise yep. me. It probably wouldn't surprise you at all, would it, Mel? No, it wouldn't surprise me, but as a fan, I wouldn't like to see it. That's where as I, a fan, I would like it that's just that's me being the selfish. Perspective I'm coming from. I yeah. mean, the dude leads yeah, it just, in nine. That's just Super me being Bowls. selfish. Yeah, I, I understand the business side of it too. Right, and I'm with you. All three of us, I think, are on target. We wouldn't like to see it. I know Dan Marino was confronted with this dilemma when he could have gone to Minnesota but opted to play with the Dolphins his entire career. But that was a choice that was in front of him, but he opted not to do it. And Brett Favre, though, what few people don't understand about Favre is he started with Atlanta mm-hmm. before he got to Green Bay, and then he ended up having a couple stops later on down the road. So I, I don't really classify Brett Favre in that category, even though the appropriate ending would have been in Green Bay. But you also had a guy by the name of Mr. Rogers on the bench. And uh, as a result, Favre was definitely going to be going if Mike McCarthy had the same thing. But I'm glad we brought this up. It's a very stimulating conversation. We read it, and here on the program, we have to address it. I'm glad we did. With that said, okay, the one thing I do want to address, and Mel, you probably can relate to it all too well, is the fact that Jets, Kalichi, Osamali uh, is going to be undergoing shoulder surgery on Friday. I think it's a bad look for the Jets. Uh, I mean, he's had three opinions on it, but, you know, you play the game. I know that the, when you're talking about the money Losing, he's losing five hundred seventy-nine thousand four hundred eleven dollars and seventy-seven cents, and the recovery time is like uh, four to six months. I understand it from both look. I think it's a bad look for the Jets, but yet you play the game. Uh, you you can have the ball and run with this one now. I mean, I think it's a bad look on the player. Now, I don't know the extent of his injury. Like I told you earlier, I played with a, a torn labrum. I, I had both of my shoulders dislocated. One of them was in high school before the season started, before I had any scholarship offers or anything like that. I played with a harness that entire year. Once I signed my letter of intent with UCLA, I called them and told them I was getting ready to have surgery. I did it in the NFL. We were playing a scrimmage against San Diego Chargers. I dislocated my other shoulder, played five preseason games, 16 regular season games, and three playoff games with with a harness on again. After the last playoff game, which I think was on a Sunday, on Tuesday I was on the operating table. So it really depends. You know, really depends on where you are in the hierarchy of the team. Like I said, guys are expendable; they can be replaced. Now, you know, we're talking about this in reference to like Patrick Mahomes and what he's doing right now. He's not in jeopardy of losing his job because of injury. This guy here, they're not paying him a whole lot of money. You know, players are expendable. For me. You know, the one thing I was taught when I got drafted by Denver, you can't make the club in the tub. So the one thing you got to do is you've always got to be out in the practice field because every day guys are getting cut. 
right. and released, and new guys are coming in. Every Tuesday, they hold tryouts and have a whole bunch of guys coming in there looking for your roster spot. Right. I wasn't trying to give mine up without a fight. I wasn't going to give mine up being in the training room because I knew that if I was injured or if I was hurt, I could be replaced. Right. I wasn't at the top of the roster. I was on the bottom of the roster right. fighting to keep my roster spot. Right. So I knew that I had to play regardless. So I played through that injury, had that injury the entire year. Couldn't throw a football five yards, but I played with it. And then once the season was over, then I then I dealt with it. So I think it's a bad look on the player. Now, again, I don't know the extent of his injury. He's an offensive lineman. His what he does is a little bit different than what I do as a running back. He's got to get his hands on defensive linemen and, and stop them and prevent them from getting to the quarterback. The problem is when you, when that arm gets away from your body, that's when you, you know, when you lose, when you have no strength and it's, and, and it, it's susceptible to dislocating again. So if, as long as he keeps his hands inside, he would be okay with it. But again, I don't know the extent of his injury. I don't know what his, what his pain threshold is, but uh, I think it's a, I think it's a bad look on the player. Okay, well, we, only have, we have about a minute left to go in this segment, Mel. I, that's why I wanted you on here to talk about it because if there's anybody more qualified to talk about it, it's definitely you because you have played the game. Lewis and I, we're not as qualified as you are because you've been through the rigors like we have, like we have not. So, no, I'm glad. I mean, again, it depends on where you are. Uh, you know, I mean, is he playing? Are we looking at long-term damage? I don't know, but I'll tell you what. Well, I'll uh, be ready to go back to work next Thursday, Mel, okay? And I'll come up with some other stuff to challenge you with. How's that sound, okay? Sounds good. All right, hey, thanks for being on the Sports Exchange, and we will see you next Thursday night, Mel. Thanks. Have a great weekend, buddy, okay? Thank you. Thank you, you too. All right. Bye-bye. So, uh, so, all right, let's go ahead and uh, talk about that really quickly. Uh, you heard it from him. Who are we to say about a guy uh, getting third opinions when you're dealing with a guy like him who's been there, done that? About, you know, medical issues? Yeah, I, right. I agree. I mean, I think the Jets are handling it poorly. Anthony made it a very good point earlier, which I still agree with, is right. that you're going to find a guy because he's trying to be healthy to help you guys win games. Right. And especially for a, a member of the offensive line, you know, a, you know, a, you know a part of your team critical for the development of Sam Darnold, you're going to find him because he's trying to get healthy. Right. Come on, if I yeah, and if I'm a free agent, I don't want to sign there. I mean, well, that's a public. You just said it right there. That's a public public persona. But again, who am I to criticize a guy because of health? All I know is I'm not the most durable guy on the planet either. Mm-hmm. So I can see both sides of the argument. I really can see both sides of the argument. So I don't know. But Mel's been there, done that. We haven't. What can I tell you? Yeah, I mean, I'm still stuck on the Tom Brady thing, man. I would be horrified. I started yeah. thinking that after week seven, after that win, I was like, I don't want to see this guy in another uniform. I like those narratives. And I'm not even a Patriots fan, but I can admire greatness when I see it, especially for a franchise that's continued to do it now for nearly two decades, more than two decades. I don't want to see him playing in another uniform, and I'm sure 100% of those fans in New England say that. Right. There's, In my opinion, there's no chance that he winds up somebody else or playing somewhere else. I just don't, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can throw out all the suggestions of teams that he could go to, and theoretically they may work given, you know, the struggles of the quarterback there. But, again, that's all I can really say about that now. All right, well, we'll go from one ball to another, and that's from uh, football over to basketball, and a guy who's uh, qualified to talk about it. 
back in Motown is a guy by the name of Damon Knight. Damon, welcome back to the Sports Exchange. Glad to have you with Thank us. you, Scoop. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So, all right, uh, yep. what's on your mind? Yeah, I talked uh, about some basketball last night. What's going on? Oh, uh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, if uh, anybody didn't know, the Pistons played in their first regular season game on Wednesday against the Indiana Pacers. They won. They won uh, 119 to 110. Uh, it was a spectacular game. Uh, that game was led by Andre Drummond, who had uh, 23 rebounds, two assists, and 32 points. Oh, and meanwhile, Luke Kennard came up the bench and scored 30 points, uh, had two assists, and three rebounds. And the guy that we just picked up this offseason, uh, a guy by the name of Derek Rose, if you haven't heard of him, had 18 points, two assists, and uh, nine assists, excuse me, and, and two rebounds. So. That production was it was crazy insane. Yeah, I, I know the one thing that the Pistons yep. are proud of is that yes. long losing streak yep. in the playoffs. How much yeah. does that wear on that area at some yep. point? Here's a proud yep. franchise that's won three championships, yes. but their last few, but they have yep. a record that nobody wants. Yep. What's the reaction there about yep. that, what they expect this year? Um, not happy. They want to change the culture. They want to become prominent again. You know, like you just said, we haven't won a championship in like 15 years. That That's way too long. I remember that uh, championship as a kid. And so, you know, we're hungry. We're definitely hungry. And uh, it's time for a change. It's time to bring it back. And uh, I think we're moving in the right direction with the players that we have. So it just takes time. That's all it is. It's a very competitive sport. You know, the West is really, really strong with all the players that they have over there. And the East, the East is not as good as I remember as it was, but we're going to get there. And so it's just, we just need time. I had a question I wanted to ask you, Damon, given, you know, your connection, what's going on, man, given your connections to the Detroit area. And now that Derek Rose is on that team for a two year deal, do yeah. you think that we saw yeah. a Hall of Fame career go by the wayside given those chronic injuries? Um, no, because uh, he was the 2011 MVP, and I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I still believe that that talent is still in him. It's just it's going to be limited due to, like you just said, with his chronic knee injuries. But I, I feel like if he scores on a consistent basis, you know, I, I think he's you know still deserving of a Hall of Fame. Uh, career uh, in the result of his season uh, or his career, if that makes sense. One of the interesting dynamics, though, when you have a team yeah. like this, is you have Blake Griffin, who probably you're lucky to get yeah. 65 to 70 yes. games out of a year, yeah. based on $30 million a year, so you better get yeah. out of real estate. And then yeah, you better. Rose, who has been yeah. injury-prone, do – does yep. this team have enough depth to overcome guys that have been perennially injured for a while? Um, I believe so. You know, Andre Drummond can carry the load. Like I said, you know, he had 23 rebounds, 32 points, and uh, two assists. Uh, he can carry that load, but he can't carry it all by himself. You know, like guys like Reggie Jackson need to step up. You know, Christian Wood, that young guy they signed over Joe Johnson, he looked pretty good. Bruce Brown, guys like that. Uh Jordan Boone, those guys, these guys need to step up and gain experience, and then they will, and that's why they drafted them. So they just got to wait until Griffin comes back, and then the the load will be, you know, less harder on them. Yeah, Brown actually is a University of Miami Hurricane product, if I remember right. Yes, yeah. He he has uh, roots to to this area. So 
Dwayne yep. Casey, I think, is a good coach. Yes. What what are the, what's the attitude about Dwayne Casey in the area, knowing that they got rid of a guy who couldn't keep his big mouth shut? I'm referring to Stan oh, Van, Stan Van Gundy. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, I think he brings a winning culture. Um, I you know if you look at what the Toronto Raptors did uh, previous two years, they were pretty successful. I know they won the championship last year, but I think if they had Casey instead of uh, Nick Nurse, they still would have won it. And so, I really think so. Yes, my heart. Yeah, uh, just from bringing that team to, you know, you had DeMar DeRozan, and then you had Kyle Lowry, and then you, when you get rid of DeRozan and bring in Leonard, that's a huge upgrade. Oh, yeah. But yeah. still, I think part of coaching is getting guys to get into a fundamentally sound team play, and then when you add a guy like that, like a Leonard, it just makes it easier. So I, I, I believe that, you know, I believe that he would have won a championship regardless, but, and he can bring that to Detroit, you know, we just, like you said, we just need to stay, you know, healthy as much as we can. And then, you know, make friendly, uh, fundamentally, uh, uh, fundamentally sound, you know, uh, quality play on the court. I'm sorry. So that's okay. The one guy that I actually liked there on that team uh, is a guy by the name of Luke Kennard. I mean, you're talking about yes. a guy that can shoot yep. the basketball for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he came out of Duke, so he knows what shooting's all about. Well, I mean, you know, so, I, I, yeah. I'd like to think that yeah. Mike Krzyzewski, they've had yeah. a few good yes. players there. Once J.J. Upon, Redick. Yeah, yep. Grand Hill. Yeah. He didn't think yeah. Detroit was good enough, and they ended up winning a championship yes. without him. But yep. I'm not going to pick on Grant. He's a nice guy. He just uh, Yes. Oh, yeah. The injuries. Well, yeah, he ended up yeah. getting hurt when he was in Orlando. So tell me some yeah. of the other yeah. things going on in the Detroit area now that we talked about the Pistons. Lions obviously have a big win. Yes. They have a big weekend. They need to beat the Giants for the season to yes. be salvageable after a tough loss yeah. on the weekend. Yeah. So what are your thoughts um, about the Lions over the weekend? Uh, not so good. Uh, I'm very worried about uh, the defensive line uh, being able to stop the run, you know, because they have Saquon Barkley. I don't know how healthy he is, but still he's very scary to, to play against. And then you have the Quandre Diggs uh, trade. That's questionary. You know, that's that's like saying oh, I'm going to throw in the red flag or the white flag, so have you. And that's, that's to me that that's just giving up. So – you know, it's iffy. It's, you know, it's very, uh, very blurry. It seems like they're so, known in the last couple of years to make these deflating trades before the trade. Yes. Line. Yeah. This year yeah. Different. Yes. I was listening to 97 won the ticket and some fans think that, you know, Darius Slay's next. That's, that's kind of something to look at as far as bringing in value. You know, we only got a fifth or sixth rounder, I believe from uh, Diggs. I just hope that we get something that is, promising and that can propel us into moving into the right direction and so you know we'll see we'll see what happens any other final thoughts while you have another minute or two about the uh piston situation they're playing the atlanta hawks i don't have a score with them right now yes uh, yes maybe uh, Lewis can they find... lost oh did they lose? yeah yes. they, they lost 117 yes. to 100 uh speaking hawks? of uh really? yeah okay. uh, yeah by 16 points i believe lewis atlanta. i think yeah, yeah, yeah. The Kyle Corverless Hawks. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they have Trey Young, so yeah, that guy's pretty cool. Um, yes, uh, I wanted to mention uh, the Astros being down 2 nothing to the Nationals and how Justin Verlander hasn't had a win 
in all the World Series starts he's ever had. That's that's crazy. Yeah, we brought that up, but that's okay. You're being a Detroiter, so bring it up. So, yeah, Damon, yeah. I was actually going through my uh, daily stat head that I get in my emails yes. because, as you as you and Scott may already know, I live and breathe and die with stats. And Verlander's ERA. <laughs> So we're all here. Six yeah. World Series outings, the second worst yeah, yeah. all time. You have to go back to Carl Erskine. I don't know if you remember those Dodger teams from the 40s and the 50s, but who had a higher uh, postseason ERA, a World Series ERA minimum of six starts. Yeah. Erskine did it in seven, yeah. five, nine plus ERA. Maybe so, in black and white highlights. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was, you know what, Damon? Lewis has been aching to get that yeah, yeah. out here on the show, but it, it, he yeah. certainly picked a good time knowing that we brought the Verlander thing. Any other thing you yeah. want to say before we wrap this up? Uh, no, that's it, Scoop. I, I appreciate you bringing me on. All so. right, no problem. I'll look for, uh, just so you know, folks, uh, Damon Knight yep. is a contributor for the South Florida Tribune. Uh, yep. So feel free to read yep. his work on our uh, publication. Yes. Lewis, obviously, is a sports editor of the pub, but yep. Damon does good work. So, all right, prepare yeah. for uh, Tuesday. You should be pretty good. Okay, buddy? Oh, yes, for very uh, very sure, yes. Uh, thank you, Lewis. Thank you, Scoop. I appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, thanks for having me. Thanks no for problem, me. Damon. Thanks for being on the yep. program. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, have yeah. a good night. Yeah, you too. Yeah, bye. bye. All right, our next guest is Tom Shanahan. What we do is we give Tom the ability to talk about ACC football on Tuesday, and then he gets to talk about basketball on Thursday. And one thing about Tom is, uh, you know, when you talk about one of the premier basketball conferences in the country, the ACC is certainly one of them. And I'm definitely looking forward to uh, Tom going ahead and revealing his uh, – New top 25 in, ba- ba- in basketball. But now you have a minute or two to ramble off any stats. Are there any stats that I'm going to let you get in? Uh, no. I mean, you know, I have the uh, Vikings-Redskins game on right now. I-, I was thinking about this. Kirk Cousins has looked great the last two weeks. Have we finally started to see the quarterback that they paid for when they gave him that $84 million contract at the outset of, you know, prior to last season? What's the score? It's 13-6. to 6, um Minnesota, I mean, and Dwayne Haskins is in the game, I guess. Case Keenum didn't pass the test today. Also, in other words, the Washington Redskins are making it competitive, at least. Yeah, I mean, third quarter, you got about 10 minutes to go. I give credit to Joe Buck calling the World Series last night. He's doing Thursday Night Football tonight on Fox with uh, with Troy Aikman. So. Is he really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, I give credit to Joe Buck. He's earned my respect in this postseason. I feel like he's been a little bit more animated. I've always kind of, you know, used that against him. You know, I have a lot of respect for him because most of the World Series I've watched growing up, I've heard his voice. And, you know, a lot of anticlimactic reactions out of him. But I have to say this postseason, I've started to come around to him a little bit because, you know, he seems to show a little bit more emotion before he's just very, like, you know, high and dry, kind of just well, meh. But you know what? That's his low-key personality. I mean, let's face reality. You're used to Joe Buck, and I'm used to his dad, Jack Yeah, Buck. Jack Buck. And he did – and I will give him credit for David Freeze's home run in the best baseball game I ever saw, Game 6 of the 2011 World Series he literally 20 years after mimicked his father when he said, we'll see you tomorrow night. Oh, yeah, come on. It's in the bloodlines. Although I got to tell you an uh, interesting story before Tommy comes on. I remember working a game back in Pompano when the Cardinals uh, took on the Texas Rangers over at Pompano Municipal Stadium. It's has been long torn down since. And I was in the press box working the scoreboard because I, I did my part-time gig. I picked up work wherever I could get it, whether it was operating the scoreboard or writing or whatever. And I actually met Jack Buck, and he took the window out of the press box, you know, so he could see the field better. And he got hit with a foul ball right in his right arm. Got a nice big bruise, but boy, it didn't bruise his sense of humor, that's for sure. No, absolutely not. That's something I got over you. One of the most colorful and um, jovial characters baseball has ever seen, and did it with such a sense of professionalism. And, you know, 
another one of those guys who did multiple sports too. I believe he did a lot of NFL in the 1970s as well. So, you know, give a lot of credit to him. And you can say what you want about, you know, Joe taking after his father and really only having a job because of his father. But I give a lot of respect to the guy. He does a lot of good work. So, again, he's come, I'm coming around to him. And his father will forever go down as one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. Well, I'll say this before Tommy comes on the program, okay? And, and I don't know how many people would actually remember this. But before Jack Buck became into prominence, okay, he once did a trivia show called Grandstand. So for all you old-timers out there wondering about Jack Buck, okay, he did a show called Grandstand. And, of course, it went down. I remember when I was growing up, there were a lot of sports quiz shows that Dick Enberg used to have. And, you know, but you talk about the Bucks. I mean, there's a big, huge history. But you know what? I will always be partial towards my uh, adopted uncle, Ernie Harwell. Yeah, he grew up in the Metro Detroit area, and he was the voice of those Tigers teams going all the way back to, I believe, the 50s. So. Wow, but Ernie and I were close. He was like a family member to me. And one of these days I'll have a chance to pay tribute to Ernie more and more. But, you know, while we have a, a moment or two before Mr. Michigan State, I'll be, and Tom Shannon comes on. I'm glad you mentioned Ernie Harwell because I'll never forget watching MLB Network. I believe he passed away, what was it, either 2011 or 2012. And I believe Bob Costas had him on for a second. Yeah, he did. And this was right before he passed away. And Ernie kind of knew what was coming. I mean, right. he was in his early 90s at the time. But just to hear somebody who had seen so much great baseball reflect on his time in the game and pretty much his entire journey to where he was, I thought that was, like, awe-inspiring. And this was around the time that I really started to contemplate the idea of becoming a sports writer. And a lot of that stuff that I saw from, you know, the guys like Ernie Harwell and maybe one of my – and Bob Costas and maybe the guy who I like to borrow a lot of my cadence from the most and and, uh, Matt Veskersian who does um, baseball games on FS1 and works on the MLB Network and ESPN – to see that, I thought, was awe-inspiring because, to me, those are some of my heroes or just people like that who kind of talk about the game that I love and they deliver it in their own unique way that is just kind of, like, singular to themselves. But that's your area, and you know what? That's good because you represent the new wave. But what I'm saying is I can the, – the appreciation I had for what er, the stories right. that Ernie, you know, discussed and talked about, you know, it's awe-inspiring. You know, I know I use that term already, but, you know, it's just nice to hear, you know, because you're essentially hearing – the folk tales of the days of yore in baseball history, and, and I thought that was great. Yeah, but you're bright enough to appreciate it. Most people don't have your baseball IQ mentality. They don't, and I say this not because you're sitting across the table for me, but before I hired you to work for me here, I knew exactly what you had, and that's why I enjoy being able to sit across here in the studio all the time, being able to interact about baseball and a lot of the other sports, and now you're becoming a bit more well-rounded as your uh, responsibilities have forced you to become a bit more well-rounded, and mm-hmm. I think that's the dynamics of what we're really trying to get accomplished anyway. So. Yeah, so so far, mission accomplished, I'd hope. No, we're doing okay. I yeah. mean, every show that we continue to do things, I, I always pray you're going to learn more and more about different sports, but you will as time goes on, and I think that that's the dynamic thing about it. With that said, we'll go from baseball over to uh, uh, basketball, or and that's Tom uh, Shanahan. Tom, thanks for being back on the Sports Exchange. You're with Scott Morgan, Roth, Lewis, Adia Weiss here on the Big Show. It's ACC basketball time with Mr. Spartan Tom Shanahan. Yeah, let's talk a little basketball. Let's do it. Well, uh, the top 25 came out, uh, and as expected, Michigan State is ranked number one. Uh, they have so many players returning. That was the reason they were number one, including Cassius Winston, who is uh, pretty much everyone's pick as a national player of the year, preseason pick. Kentucky is number two. Kansas is number three. 
and Duke is number four. And what's interesting about that uh, one, two, three, four grouping is those are the four schools that play annually in the uh, Champions Classic that moves around the country. This year it's November 5th at Madison Square Garden. And you'll have Duke playing in the first game, Duke number four against Kansas number three. And then in the nightcap, you got uh, Michigan State number one against Kentucky number two. So uh, kind of convenient how that worked out for the Champions Classic. It's amazing, isn't it? Okay, so we talked about the top 25. Any surprises in that? Um, you know, I, I, one surprise I would say is Louisville number five. Uh, that, that's awfully high, I think. Uh, although, you know, they've got a good coach and they do have some talent. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, <laughs> I just uh, think that's a little bit high for Louisville. The interesting, Another interesting thing is number six, Florida. Okay. So Kentucky, you know, Kentucky usually just rolls right through the SEC. The SEC is just basically a one-team conference. Uh, but, but Florida is getting back to where it was uh, when uh, Billy Donovan was there, won back-to-back NC titles. They're becoming a, a top-ten program. Uh, they they got a big transfer uh, that's making a difference this year. A kid from uh, Gary Blackshear from Virginia Tech. He was a great player for Virginia Tech. In fact, he gave Duke a lot of trouble. Uh, Virginia Tech uh, uh, came close to beating Duke. And Blackshear is one of those senior transfers who uh, has taken advantage of uh, the graduate transfer rule. He's immediately eligible. It came down to Michigan State and Florida, and uh, he picked Florida. Interesting. Very interesting. So, all right, let's look ahead to the – Champions Classic. The only thing I say about Sparty, and this is a credit to Tom Izzo more than anything else, is he doesn't mind scheduling the big opponents early in the year. Sometimes, well, you know what? Sometimes I look at wins and losses a bit more skewed in college basketball because of the amount of weaker opponents that are scheduled. Not that every sport, Tom, doesn't do it, okay? But more so, I think in college basketball. But Tom Izzo is not one of those individuals who's afraid to schedule these marquee matchups early. Yeah, he's always been that way. And part of it was, uh, you know, when he replaced Judd Heathcote and uh, he brought in Mateen Cleaves, who was the foundation for their eventual national championship team. He's trying to build more interest in the program, higher profile. And so they scheduled games at North Carolina. They weren't afraid to do that. And uh, he's continued that philosophy. Uh, even down to uh, when Judd Jud Heathcote retired, he went back home to the state of Washington and uh, Spokane, where he's from, where his family is from, grandchildren and all that. And, uh, you know, Gonzaga's a great program. And uh, Izzo would take Michigan State out to Gonzaga just so, uh, you know, as a favor to his old boss. Right. Uh, you know, not a lot of guys would take uh, their team to uh, the backyard, of, to the, the arena of uh, – powerful program like Gonzaga. So, yeah, he's always had that attitude. He'll take on anybody. Yeah, well, let me ask you a question. You're in the ACC. Don't don't some coaches go ahead and use that as a recruiting way where if you come to us, I'll make sure we schedule a game in your hometown so you can play in front of the family. I thought, didn't Dean Smith used to do that? Yeah, Dean was famous for that. But, you know, that was before so many games were on TV. Right. Uh, I, I don't know if that's important as it is, it is now to recruits as it used to be because recruits are more willing to transfer, all, or not transfer, but just uh, 
go anywhere across the country to play for a top team than maybe they were back in the, the 70s and 80s. Right. But yeah, Dean, Dean Smith always made that uh, promise to a player. If he brought him a, a long way from home, that uh, he would schedule a game uh, uh, near their uh, hometown. Yeah, I mean, I like it personally. I think it's good. I mean, to think of a marquee program playing in your backyard in front of fans, I think it's pretty good, me personally. Yeah, the coach that probably doesn't do that, that does it the least, is uh, Duke and Coach K. You know, he gets a lot of criticism for never playing a tough road game, kind of like Alabama football. They never play a road game at an opponent's a Power Five's stadium. They want to always be at a neutral stadium. So Coach K has Duke in a lot of tournaments. Yeah. And they'll play teams in Chicago and things like that. But he rarely takes his team on the road to face a uh, quality program until they get into ACC play. Yeah, but you know the difference between college football and basketball, though, is these guaranteed games and these teams that are so much uh, worse get that guaranteed paycheck. And the, as I always like to say, Tom, the inventory just isn't as high in football as it is in basketball. But yeah, I think also in basketball there are you're right. There are more tournaments around the country. What do you have them in the Bahamas? You have Hawaii, I think they have the Maui Classic, and and they have them in the Bahamas. I mean, I imagine the Thanksgiving tournaments. You know, so you've got a lot more neutral site games. I think more so. I'm not talking about the bowl games. I'm just talking about in general in college basketball that you can move them around. You have well, you have games in Alaska too, don't you, Tommy? Yeah, yeah, right, they, so. they've had a couple of tournaments up there. Right, so, you know, I mean, but I, I can see your point. Um, all right, so we're talking we're talking about these exhibition games. Are there certain exhibition games that you think stand out that we should uh, be looking for? Uh, not really. They're all, you know, designed for uh, the uh, – as far as the top 25 teams, they're going to blow out whoever they play. But what is interesting about Duke – uh, is uh, about 10 years ago, Coach K was, was watching the Division II National Championship game on TV. You know, his team was in the NCAA tournament somewhere. I guess they had a day off, and, and the Division II game came on TV, and he was watching it. And he really got caught up in uh, all the emotion uh, and uh, spirit that's uh, genuine. You know, there's no money, no big-time NBA draft picks on these teams. These guys are playing for the love of the game. And so he came up with the idea that he was going to invite the Division II champion every year to come to uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium for an uh, exhibition game. Hmm. And so this is the 10th year he's been doing it. This year the team is uh, Northwest Missouri State. Really? And, yeah, and as you can imagine, uh, these kids are used to playing in Division II gyms, uh, not in Cameron Indoor Stadium, where, right. where they've seen Duke play a million times on TV. So they all walk in with uh, their mouths wide open and their eyes wide open. and uh, It's quite an experience that uh, Coach K is happy to provide for them. Uh, I give them a lot of credit for that. I give you a lot of credit for bringing that up. I think that is pretty cool stuff. So, all right, let's talk about the Champions Classic altogether. They have the top four teams. Why don't you size up the Duke versus Kansas matchup first before we graduate with MSU against Kentucky? Well, I'm expecting Duke to be pretty good this year. I, what, you know what I expect? I expect it to be more fun to watch. Last year, they kind of boiled down into one-on-one -on -one play between R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. Right. You know, those guys were just so far ahead and shoulders above everybody else that uh, they just kept pounding the ball to those guys. 
And the the offense, if they weren't hitting their three pointers, the offense could get really stagnant and boring to watch. Now, uh, I expect Trey Jones to be uh, more of a pure point guard. Uh, he he was one of the four freshmen that came in last year, and he came back for sophomore year. He knew he wasn't ready for the NBA. Part of the reason being is he had uh, both a hip and shoulder injury during the course of the season. So I don't, I'm not sure he was ever 100% after, say, uh, January when he first got hurt. But I expect him to, to distribute the ball like his brother Tyus Jones did when he led them to the 2015 national title. And uh, there won't be just two guys demanding the ball all the time. So I think they're going to be more balanced and more fun to watch. That's what that's what I expect anyways. Now, I know Kansas has been under scrutiny for things off the court. And I think that Bill Selfish's reputation, obviously he's done – won championships and he's had a lot of success on the court. But do you think that with some of the off the field issues that the Kansas program is going to be looked upon differently now than it has been in the past? No. And uh, knowing a lot of the off uh, court transgressions that have taken place. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Look at Arizona. Do you look at right. Arizona the same way? Oh yeah. Same. I think, uh, I think we'll start seeing that in Kansas too. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kansas, um, we're going to have to kind of wait and see we'll, how their uh, players react. You know, Sylvia D'Souza was at the, at the center of all the controversy, and we don't know how he's going to respond to all that. We'll just have to kind of wait and see. It, you know, if there's one team out of those four that shouldn't be in the top four, I'd say it'd be Kansas. Okay. All right, let's go on to Michigan State against Kentucky. Why don't you size up that game, and then we're going to talk about something else that you mentioned earlier. Go ahead, size up a Sparty against the Wildcats. Well, the interesting thing about Michigan State is, you know, last year they went to the Final Four, even though they played uh, from December 31st on without Josh Langworth, their, their shooting guard. Right. And, uh, who, and that put up a lot more of a burden on Cassius Winston, their point guard, to score. Uh, uh, Langford came down with a stress fracture in his foot, and he kept thinking that he might come back later in the season. But it just never healed. He ended up missing the whole season. So he, re- he had surgery, uh, I think maybe in late February or so, when they re- realized it wasn't going to heal. And uh, they were banking on him rehabbing over the summer and uh, coming back this year, which would be his senior year, even though he missed half of his junior year. But uh, they just announced on uh, Tuesday that uh, his foot is uh, giving him trouble again. Um, I'm not sure if he has to have surgery again or not, but he's definitely out. They say he's out until January. Wow. So um, they were banking on him uh, probably more last year than this year. When I say that, uh, Aaron Henry came on real strong in the NCAA tournament last year, playing a small forward position as a freshman. He's the one that Izzo yelled at, got criticized for yelling at on TV. Uh, so the, he's probably going to slide into the shooting guard spot, and then they have other guys that can play that small forward. So um, uh, definitely they'll miss Langford, don't take me wrong, because he's a very good player. But uh, I, I think they missed him more last year than they will this year, assuming they can play with that same cohesive play that they had last year That uh, when they got on a run and made it to the Final Four. All right, since, since we're talking ACC basketball, I'm going to throw a couple of names at you right now. First of all, Zion Williamson, okay, is going to be out, I believe, six to eight weeks. Uh, you know, this guy has 
since he was drafted by the New Orleans Pelicans, has came in out of shape. And to me, I hate to say this early in the game, but we've seen it all too many times. But he came in out of shape. And would it be premature at the rate he's going, okay, that he could become a bust if he doesn't straighten out fairly quickly? Because let's not kid yourself. It's one thing to come in as a number one pick, but you got to come in in much better condition knowing that you're not playing 35, 40 games. You're playing as many as 90 games, you know, between preseason, regular season, if you play a full season, if you're lucky enough to get into the playoffs. Or more than 100, for that matter, if things play out the way. This guy came in out of shape, and I think he's got bust uh, written all over him at the rate he's going, Tom. Well, yeah, you might be a little early to say that, but yeah, there is a lot of concern that uh, there's just nobody really like him. Uh, you know, he weighs 285 pounds, but he can jump like uh, Michael Jordan. You know, he broke all kinds of jumping records at uh, Duke when when they tested him. So, you know, there have been other 280-pound guys uh, that played a long time. I'm, I'm thinking of Wes Unseld. I'm dating right. myself. Uh, but they weren't... Uh, jumping as high and coming down and putting that much pounding and pressure on their knees. So, yeah, it's a big question about uh, whether his knees are going to be hold, be able to hold up with the way he plays. You can't blame the sneakers this year, not in the NBA. They got pretty good sneaker deals up uh, uh, at the pros. You really yeah. Are. So, uh, you know, Mr. Williamson, okay, to me, you know, he's going to be the face of a franchise which certainly could use them. Uh, he's got to get in shape, and I'm just surprised he's not in shape by now. That just boils me away. The guy's getting paid to play. Yeah, well, we'll see. Well, he's, uh, he's only he's not, 19 years old, so. Not anymore. We'll, he's getting we'll played see. to sit. <laughs> and one other name I want to bring up, okay, Luke Kennard. I think he's actually with the Detroit Pistons. You know, I think he has a lot of upside, you know, a good shooter. Uh, how, how's he, how did he do in the preseason? I haven't followed him. I don't know, but he had a nice game with the opener, although evidently... Uh, 30 points in his first game. Yeah, 30 points uh-huh. in the first game, but I don't know how he did tonight. He dropped 13 tonight. Look, that's a respectable performance, okay. and granted they lost, so, you know, yeah. his you know lackluster offensive output in just the second game, you know, may have been a reason. So, I mean, they may have somebody going forward. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I always thought he should have stayed at Duke another year. I didn't think he was ready. Yeah. And obviously, obviously that proved the case because he spent some time in the G League. Because uh, I think you can always get better with another year of college and maturity. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see. I, I wasn't high on him last year. You can prove me wrong. No, that's okay. Hey, listen, you know what? For an NBA player to gain respect from me, they've got to show it. Uh, and I know Lewis is laughing at me. You got to show it to me for two, three years in a row, and not just be a one-hit wonder for one year. Uh, you just, uh, you, you really do. I, I don't. I mean, not obviously the first year, the travel, the pace of the game is different. You're playing against men, not boys, and you know the competition's better. But you've got to show it to me a lot more than what some of these guys do. And uh, I don't know. Bill Winters came on our air last night on the uh, on his show last night, and. He wasn't singing the praise of Mr. Williamson. That's for sure. He was not. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, six to eight weeks. Uh, yeah, he's, he's going to have to start getting in shape, like you say. Uh, he's going to have to find some other methods. So, for Tuesday night, what do you got uh, lined up for us on Tuesday night sports exchange? You get to go back to the pigskin. Uh, we'll get back to lots of football. That's for sure. One thing I'd like to talk about is uh, next week is um, 
Army and Air Force play. That's the second leg of the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy. Navy beat Air Force in the first round. So uh, those games, you, you know, these guys that uh, volunteer to uh, serve their country uh, during when we have this endless war on ter- terrorism, as much credit as they get, I, I don't think they can get enough credit. They just uh, it, it just takes a lot of uh, commitment and courage to do what these guys do. Yeah, I mean, I've always I'm glad that you really like covering that because I think that that's the one thing that tends to get overlooked in sports is the uh, military academies not getting the public just. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. And while we have a few minutes before Xavier McKnight comes on the program. But when you talk about the fact that Roger Staubach played at Navy, Napoleon McCallum, I think, played there as well, and David Robinson uh, playing for Navy, you know what? There's a lot of uh, good players that don't get their opportunities, and I'm actually glad that President Trump has gone ahead and allowing these guys or to play uh, before their commitment is up. I think that was a move long overdue, so kudos to the president for allowing that to happen. Because there are a lot of good athletes to do it. Yeah, well, a perfect example of uh, how uh, Staubach has been such an ambassador for Navy is uh, uh, he won the Heisman Trophy in 1963, and his rival quarterback at Army was a guy named Roley Stickway. And they played two epic games in 63 and 64. The 63 game was just a couple weeks after President Kennedy had been assassinated. And for a time, they didn't even know if they were going to play the game. And that was kind of a, a president and President Kennedy's widow, Jackie, said that he would want the game played. So they went ahead with it. And that's given uh, that, that game gave a lot of credit for the, the country starting to heal and come out of the mourning period. Uh, and then and um, Navy won a dramatic game. And then the next year, Army won a dramatic game. Well, in both games, Roger Staubach and Roley Stickway, the Army quarterback had fantastic games but the only guy you know is roger because right. uh, he uh he went to Viet- he went to vietnam as part of his military service and but uh the navy allowed him to also take time off uh and train with the cowboys and and uh before until his four-year military commitment was up it's five years now but back then it was four years and so uh, they saw him as a future ambassador to Navy football. Meanwhile, at the same time, Roley Stickway, who had interest from uh, NFL teams, he didn't get drafted, but he had interest. And uh, he's in the Vietnam uh, highlands on the, along the Ho Chi Minh Trail in the Army. And the Army didn't allow him to go back and play to uh, attend any training camps during his time off or anything like that. And so people don't know who Roley Stickway was, but they know who Roger Staubach was. And uh, that shows you the difference of being an ambassador for your sport. Uh, We've got about a minute. I'm going to extend you by a minute. I'm going to get you out of here on this note. Do you remember where former Detroit Lions coach Bobby Ross finished his coaching career? Bobby, I went to West Point, yep. Yeah, there you go, Army. So there you go. I, I, I wasn't going to put that one past you anyways, but since we got on this kick about the military plan, I had to go out there and stick the Bobby Ross thing to give Mr. Shanahan his due for his incredible work with the uh, military academy. So how about that? One for Bobby Ross, one for Tom Shanahan. Go out there and, uh, all right, so I'll expect the majority of what you have to talk about on Tuesday surrounding about the military academies. How's that sound, Tommy? Yeah, sounds good. Follow me on Twitter, everybody out there, Shanty4055, and 
Visit my website, ShanahanReport.com. And not only that, you'll, you'll be able to see Tom Shanahan stuff every so often on SouthFloridaTribune.com. Right, Tommy? That too, yeah. There you go. All right, well, Tommy, have a good weekend, and I'll be talking to you on Tuesday, and we'll get you set up again. But thanks for being on the program, Tom, and we'll see. have a great weekend. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. All right, Louis, so what's your take on, I know you don't follow ACC basketball a lot, but obviously as you become more familiar with that, okay, uh, you know, you know the Miami Hurricanes play in the ACC as well. You know, you know everybody knows that for many, many years that they've always been a football school, but, you know, they've produced some decent players every so don't, often. Don't ignore the fact that uh, Ryan Braun went there, Scott, and uh, John Jay and a couple of other very good Major League Baseball players. So you can't – and Alex Rodriguez has the field name after him, so don't sleep, man. But, yeah, no, I, the point he made about Coach K, and I never knew that either. I mean, again, he's someone I've always seen, you know, on SportsCenter and heard talked about. I love that idea of having those Division Two teams come in there and play. You yeah, know, yeah. that that shows me somebody giving back and, you know, being aware of his his surroundings and what he can do. All right, well, with that said, okay, uh, we're going to go ahead and bring Xavier McKnight on. Even though he's not calling, talking about college basketball, he has some things he wants to get off his chest, and they originate out in the Big Apple, don't they, Xavier? Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> I, like the, I love the oh, yes, boy. If that wasn't emphatic, I don't know what was. And it'll be emphatic again when he comes back. <laughs> All right, we'll try to get the emphatic part out again with Xavier McKnight, right, Xavier? Yes, my apologies for that. Were you so emphatic that we lost your? Were you so emphatic that we lost your connection? Okay, about how you can hammer the Jets? You better show me some compassion there, McKnight. Go ahead. Most definitely, the New York Jets. I, I just don't know what to say. You know, it's one thing to say that them losing to the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football at home was an absolute embarrassment. However, we have to always consider this. It's the Patriots, it's Belichick, it's Brady. They are the NFL's greatest dynasty. I'm not sure anybody else is going to argue that anymore at this point. So there's no shame in losing to the Patriots. But it's the way that they lost to the Patriots. You know, they completely look flat from kickoff all the way to finish. There was absolutely no enthusiasm. There was no joy. They didn't play the game with any type of ferociousness. The biggest one that absolutely gets me is the decision that was made to decide that we are going to put a microphone on Sam Darnold for Monday night football against the reigning world champions and the greatest dynasty in the NFL of our lifetime, the New England Patriots. I'm not sure who made that decision. I don't know why that decision was made. But what I do know is that that was a very unwise decision, and it's just many of the unwise things that we have saw from the New York Jets organization over all these years. But I'll simply just stick to this topic for right now with the Sam Donald Mike situation. Scott, if they did that against the Dolphins, it wouldn't have been a problem. Had they done that against any other bottom feeder or any middle-of-the-pack team, it's not a problem. Because let me preface my comments simply by saying this. I do not believe the New York Jets are a bad football team. I don't believe they're as bad as their record indicates. We all know that Sam Darnold had his unfortunate bout with Mono going into week two, and he missed a 
huge chunk of the season. He was out until week five. And we saw what Trevor Simeon was before he was injured. And we saw what Luke Falk, what Luke Falk was as well. Luke Falk was so bad that Adam Gage chose to not even use the normal plays that he would have drawn up for the New York Jets offense when Luke Falk was his quarterback. That is how bad Luke Falk was. I honestly think he may do Nathan Peterman some justice, and that's saying a lot. However, with that being said, you make this decision to have Sam Darnold mic'd up on Monday Night Football, and he is getting obliterated so bad by arguably one of the greatest defenses of all time right now out there on this field to this point of the season. You know, ultimately we'll have to see how the season ends. But he's out there being obliterated by one of the greatest defenses of all time. And what's the first thing that you hear him say on the sidelines, mic'd up the most notable comment he says? I'm seeing ghosts. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are ripping Sam Darnold for that. No, he shouldn't have said it. But I'm more so focused on the fact that the New York Jets organization even allowed this to happen in the first place. There was nobody in that organization who stepped up to the plate and said, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe this isn't a good idea. No. Choose another game, not this game in particular, because it's Belichick, it's Brady, it's the Patriots, and it's the fact that the Jets are just one of the two franchises in the NFL that Bill Belichick absolutely gets his team up for to go out and stomp a mud hole in (laughs) because we know how he feels about the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns, who they ironically play this week as well, the Cleveland Browns and the New England Patriots. I'll be very eager for that matchup to see how bad Baker Mayfield will get embarrassed as well. I'm not sure if it'll be as bad as Sam Darnold, but I do believe it's going to be bad just simply because these are the games that Belichick gets up for. And the games that Belichick actually gets up for are even more humiliating for the opposing teams as opposed to the games where it is simply just always the do-your-job mantra. Now let me get back to the New York Jets organization. This is an organization that in this past spring, Scott, they allowed their general manager to handle their NFL draft, knowing that he would not be the NFL, that he would not be the general manager of that franchise going forward. They allowed him to handle that draft. And we see how that's working out right now. But, you know, Scott, right when I wanted to give the Jets the benefit of the doubt, Mm -hmm. it looked like they were finally turning a new leaf last year when they selected Sam Darnold. It really looked like they were finally turning a new leaf to me. It looked like they were making the right decisions. You have something like that that takes place. You have the Mike situation with Sam Darnold that takes place. And I'm not all the way sold in on Adam Gase either. And this is where I want you to include your two cents on this as well. Because Adam Gase being the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, and you watching a lot of Miami Dolphins football and you covering some of the Miami Dolphins football because you are in that area and you've seen Adam Gates up close and personal and what his coaching style was like in his years in Miami. What exactly sold the New York Jets that Adam Gates was a better person to lead the ship going forward than someone like a Mike McCarthy or maybe even hiring Greg Williams to come in and run the full defense? And by the way, this has to be noted as well. It has now come out 
that Adam Gates and Greg Williams do not get along. He did not want to hire Greg Williams, and there is dysfunction on that side of the room as well. I'm not sure what, how much communication they have, but that report came out earlier this week that there is conflict between Adam Gates and Greg Williams within the New York Jets organization. Now, by you being up close and personal with that Miami Dolphins situation all those years, what, do you, what, what can you possibly say sold the New York Jets that Adam Gates was the guy going forward? Okay, let me go here. If your team with the letters S on the back end of it, okay, it's bad. The Mets had a chance to get Joe Girardi, and that didn't work out well because they didn't want a real manager to manage. Bear with me on this, okay? You know where I'm going. Number two, I don't think you can judge Adam Gase's body of work at the Miami Dolphins to a point I would totally hold it against him because he inherited a quarterback that he did not draft in Ryan Tannehill. So I personally give him the benefit of the doubt there. And he had a track record for what he had done with Peyton Manning before. So I give him a pass in that sense, okay? I really do. But, yeah, there's no doubt that I'm glad that you decided to carry the subject over to today where you have more time to talk about it, okay? But there's been a lot of dysfunction with the Jets for a long time. Greg Williams, first of all, okay, should have been a head coach with the Cleveland Browns, okay, not Freddie Kitchens to begin with. <laughs> That's where this little insane domino effect takes place. Greg Williams should be in Cleveland. Now, I'm so proud of you for even bringing this up, okay, that you're right. Belichick has it with the Jets. He doesn't like him. I hope the Cleveland Browns get embarrassed 56 to nothing to the Patriots. This is how I feel because you're right. It's a Bill Belichick, okay, King Kong tour is what we're looking at. And I, I really hope the Cleveland Browns get so bad that I wouldn't even mind doing 76 trombone. You know what, Xavier, don't take this the wrong way. I hope they lose 77 to nothing like what happened with Savannah State against Miami. Just kidding, brother. Oh, no, oh, no. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Okay, good. Just so you know, not taking shots at the X-Men, okay? I'm not. But I hope that the New England Patriots, okay, go ahead and beat the Cleveland Browns 77 to nothing. And we've already seen a 33 to nothing um Thing now, Lewis is chomping at the bit to say something. I'll get back on, but let Lewis go ahead. Well, I'll I'll defer to Scott first to say I'll say this to you, Scott. Why are you not referencing the Cumberland Virginia Tech game from like 1916 where they lost 222 to nothing? Look it up. That's the worst game of college football ever played. Because but anyway, what I'm going to say, Xavier, <laughs> on the subject, really quick, and I, I just want your opinion on this. I talked about this with Scott and Mel Far Jr. earlier. Would you be surprised if Tom Brady plays for another team next season? Because this has been you know, irking me. You know, Lewis, you know, Lewis I, I have to say this right now. If it was anybody besides Adam Schefter who was coming out here making these rumors and these claims and these reports, I would not believe it. But it's the fact that it's Adam Schefter. And there are three guys at ESPN, the worldwide leader, the alleged worldwide leader, I should say, who... When you take their word for something, it's usually gold. It's Adam Schefter, it's Adrian Wojnarowski, and it's Buster Olney. And when those three guys speak, it's almost like the gospel of the sport that it is that it is that they are reporting on. 
What I will say is this. In some of Tom Brady's press conferences, there does seem to be some form of unhappiness or something that's just not there like it had been in previous years. And, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the issue could pinpoint to. You know, we have to go back to when the Patriots cut Antonio Brown for more foolishness and more outrageous behavior. Tom Brady actually was not happy about the fact that the Patriots cut Antonio Brown. There was large due in part to the fact that he did not have a deep threat to throw to. And, you know, you can only imagine right now what else is going on throughout the organization because let me just say this right now. Mohamed Sanu is a nice addition to the New England Patriots. But you know what Mohamed Sanu is not? He's not a deep threat. And you have Nikhil Harry, who is coming back very soon. He began the season on IR. He's finally eligible to get ready to come back. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do. But they're in the middle of their season, and even though they're undefeated, it's like the Patriots can almost figure out how to work any of these guys in. But you know what you see the Patriots doing on offense more than anything that I pay attention to? They throw a lot of slant routes. You don't see them throw a lot of deep balls. And I don't know if that's because they don't have a true deep threat. Maybe it's because they're trying to preserve Brady a little until later on in the season because he is 42 years old. And he does have many moments out there on the field where he does look 42 years old. But here's what I will say to you, Lewis. I could see Tennessee. I could potentially see Chicago. One of those two teams that need a quarterback. And by Tom Brady having the great respect that he has for Matt Nagy as a play caller, Mike Vrabel being a former teammate of his, yeah, I could see a possibility where he could end up leaving New England and going to one of those teams. I could even see a possibility where he may end up with the Los Angeles Chargers because Phillip Rivers has simply not been able to get the job done this year or any other year, and they're already having enough trouble as it is selling tickets and getting fans into the seat. Tom Brady would at least be able to do that for you, even though you are the stepchild NFL organization of that city to the Rams anyway. At least Tom Brady would bring some form of mystique, and he's interesting. But, you know, it's something that we're going to have to watch play out. But the more Adam Schefter continues to report on this, because he reported on this earlier in the week. He came back and he said something on ESPN again this morning. I believe that this is going to start to pick up more steam, and we're going to see how much more real it is. Because Brady does look like he is fed up with some of the things that are going on. Okay, Lewis has one more thing, and I want to get back in on the Jets conversation. Go ahead, Lewis. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of this is an odd comparison, and Scott doesn't always like when I mention other sports, but, you know, The idea of having Brady and the other teams that you mentioned make a lot of sense given the prior relationships that Brady has with them. But the idea of Brady going to L.A., playing for the Chargers to replace Rivers as a mere means of selling tickets is like the idea of when Babe Ruth, who the Yankees thought were at at the end of his career after the 1934 season, that was like him signing with the Boston Braves when they knew he wasn't going to really do much. Just because, you know, given his age and the deterioration of his skill. I mean, that's all I really have to add to that. Again, I would just be horrified and just kind of let down to see him play in another uniform. All right, and I'm only going to say this, okay, and I do want to get back on track here, okay. All right, number one, the only two teams I would have thought of might be Denver or uh, Tampa Bay uh, as destinations too. But I want to get off of that because we've talked about that a lot. And I want to stay back on track with the Jets. They're an absolute mess. Greg Williams, and I'm going to go back to my point, should have been the Cleveland Browns coach. The Jets, 
have been dysfunctional for a while. Think about it. They hired Rex Ryan, and they brought in Tim, Tim Tebow to run the Wildcat. And the fact that they haven't been to a Super Bowl since Joe Namath. And not that the Lions have been any better. In fact, they've been worse. But when you talk about the whole organization, the way it's run, you know, to me, you know, you had Ken O'Brien over Dan Marino many years ago. Not that Ken was a bad quarterback, but there's a history of dysfunction and toxic nature that, you know, and then unfortunately Sam Darnold is brought on as a savior. So what happened on Monday night was unfortunate. Sam Darnold just got his butt kicked by a much better team. And, yes, Belichick has an in for the Jets, and he does have an in for the Browns. I mean, that's just a given. It really is. And you know what? He'll run it up all day long against these teams. He doesn't really, frankly, care. Now, let me add something else to what you guys have talked about, okay, about the Brady thing. And I mentioned this to uh, Farr, and I'm going to mention it to both of you guys. I think I've said enough about the Jets that Sam Darnold was in an unfortunate situation. I don't think a microphone should have been on this kid on a nationally televised game against the Patriots in, what, his second year into this thing? I think a microphone, unless the ESPN was behind it and they're lagging in ratings and interest to market a game which they figured was an absolute rout in the first place. That, to me, is a bunch. The only ghosts that were in there actually came from the higher-ups at ESPN for coming up with such a stupid idea to begin with. But I think Sam Darnold will be a good quarterback. I really do. I, I really believe that. I think that's one of the better moves that the Jets have made. I'm not so sure that I'm bothered as much about the Adam Gase thing. I'm really not as much as a lot of people are. I'm not ready to really uh, throw that one in. Greg Williams, unfortunately, what can I say about him? If he doesn't stay with the Jets, he'll land someplace else. I do have a problem with organizations telling certain coaches they have to keep this assistant. That I do have a problem because then you're talking about puppet territory. Do you know what I mean? I've got a problem with that. Now, let's keep this all... Uh, on track. I, the one thing I can tell you about the uh, Patriots Brady situation, and I know we're dancing around in lots of different areas, but Xavier, you tend to bring up excellent topics where we can go in different directions, and that's okay. But the reality is, is with Belichick and Brady, it's like who can win one without the other? It's about egos bigger than Mount Everest or McKinley or whatever you've got, Kilimanjaro. <laughs> That's about ego, man. I don't care what it is. Who can win more than the other? And you know what? Greg Popovich doesn't have this ego when he had to, uh, when Tim Duncan played with Popovich. He, You know, they love each other. These two here, obviously, are going down uh, in history as arguably the best quarterback coach duel, whether they like it or not. But I, and I'll tell you what, you being a baseball guy, you're right. When you overdo it with stats, I have no problem. But there's a fine line between stats and logic because what you have to understand that Ty Cobb uh, may have played the most of his career with the Tigers, but it's not uncommon. And Ernie Harwell told me this for other guys to end up in other uniforms. And I'm not knocking you because you have a great knowledge of this area, but it's not uncommon for superstars. Xavier, you can appreciate this, right, to end up someplace else. That's just the way pro sports are, more so in this day and era. You don't have guys that start one uh, place and end up there. Maybe in, I'd say 5 or 10% of the time, but not that much. And Cobb, of course, ending with the Philadelphia Athletics with Tris Speaker. Right. Okay, but that's my point. 
Xavier, what else do you want to add to this? Any more that you want well, to get off your chest about the Jets uh, that uh, we should know about? Well, let me add on to this point right now about you saying that superstars is not uncommon for them to end up ending their career somewhere else. Even Joe Montana didn't end his career wearing a San Francisco 49ers uniform. Oh, I mentioned that earlier. The savior of that organization. I mentioned that so, earlier. Yeah, I did. I'm glad you brought it up. The only difference with Montana was he had to take that six at uh, Len Dawson where he had to flip it over down. upside down and wore 19. So, yeah, no, I'm glad you brought it up. So that means we're both thinking alike. I got two of the most young, bright guys on this air right now with you, Xavier, and Lewis right next to me talking about stuff that many people that are 40s and 50s don't even remember. But go ahead. Continue on, Xavier. Well, and, and here's what I'll say in regards to the Brady and Belichick situation. Yes, you're absolutely right. And anybody with a true noggin on, on, on their shoulders will understand that this is all about ego. This is all about Brady wanting to win one without Belichick. This is all about Belichick wanting to win one without Brady. This is why he wanted to keep Jimmy Garoppolo in the building and slowly push Tom Brady out of the organization. Right. And had that blowout in the Super Bowl with the Atlanta Falcons continued in the favor of the Atlanta Falcons the way it was going before the inevitable ended up happening with the Patriots having that miraculous and amazing comeback, we would have seen this actually happen. I, I, I am sold on the fact that had the Atlanta Falcons not only won Super Bowl 51, but had they won it in true blowout fashion, I, I honestly do believe that we would have saw Tom Brady donning somebody else's uniform and Jimmy Garoppolo would have been the quarterback of the New England Patriots going forward. I honestly do believe that. And it's no coincidence that Jared Stidham took a huge chunk of the snaps in the preseason as well because Belichick tried to hurry up the process with him as well. He believes that he could be the next Patriots great quarterback. Right, right. You know, we'll just have to continue to watch as these things play out. It's only going to happen when it happens, and that's when I'll fully believe it. But when you have credible sources like an Adam Schefter who is coming out and saying these things, it does make me think a little. Well, sure, now, Adam Schefter. to the Jets, yes. Now, when it comes back to the Jets organization, you brought up the ESPN point, and I'm glad you did, because let me say this right now. I don't care if ESPN thought that was the idea. ESPN wanted them to do that. As an NFL organization, you have the right to tell the network no. Right. You have the right to tell the network that we're not going to do this. And for the New York Jets to later come out on Tuesday morning and say that they were absolutely upset about Sam Darnold's uh, mic being picked up with him saying the things like that, no. You allow the network to persuade you into putting a microphone on a second-year quarterback right. in a primetime game, one of the few primetime games he's ever played in in his life. Right. And the fact that this is not one of those type of eccentric quarterbacks. He is not a Baker Mayfield-like personality. Right. Okay. He's not comfortable in that spot. Now, like I said, if you're going to put a mic on him, you do that against a bottom feeder. You do that right. against Miami. You do that against Washington. You do that against whatever the Atlanta Falcons have become. Right. You do that against teams like that. You don't do that against the greatest football dynasty of our lifetime. You don't do that. So the New York Jets, I mean, they're sitting here right now with egg on their face, and it's going to be them that's going to have to clean this up. I'm not looking at ESPN. I'm not looking at Sam Darnold. I'm looking at the executives in the New York Jets organization and everybody in that building who probably raised their hand and said, 
The eyes are in favor of Sam Darnold wearing a live mic on Monday Night Football. Yeah, I think that was just bad anyways. I mean, I know, I got it, as much as I hate to admit, I remember when Darnold blew out Matt Stafford at Fort Field on Monday night. That's a painful memory, but, you know, you're right. You don't put him up against an opponent like that, you know, and uh, I could sit here and get into lots of discussions about some of the things that ESPN gets people to do, but that we don't have enough time in the broadcast to do that, but you're right. There's certain things you do. It's one thing to set a guy up for failure and success, and that was definitely the wrong way to do it. I think all parties were at fault for that one. I really do. I, I think it was a complete fiasco all the way around. And the amazing thing about that thing all is, is the fact that I see the Jets against the Jaguars uh, actually on Sunday, and then they come down to Miami to take on the Dolphins. I won't be at that game, but I'll be over uh, in uh, Jacksonville on Sunday. So, I mean, the quality of competition will be certainly different. But you're right. You I mean, you hung the guy out to dry on national television he saw a ghost, but you know, but he didn't see him against the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, did he? When he came back to beat the Cowboys. So my question is: Is how could the Jets have been so flat against New England that bad uh, when they performed admirably against the Cowboys and got a win? I mean, I think people well, expected sir, that to be more well, competitive sir, let me than that. Say this. Let me say this because we brought up issues with this situation. We brought up issues with the Jets from years ago with the. Rex Ryan and Tim Tebow and Mark Sanchez circus of what that was. They have other issues going on within the organization right now. You have an offensive lineman who wants to have surgery, and the Jets are penalizing him because he wants to have surgery for himself. You have an injury going on right now with C.J. Mosley, one of your big off-season additions, the linebacker, and he's seeking out second opinions on his injury because they may have possibly mishandled this the first time. It's as you just said, this is an absolute mess. And, you know, we saw the Mets make a mess out of themselves because now I'm not sure what to make out of that situation either because it's like you said, they could have had Joe Zerardi and they chose not to do it. And if you don't end up getting Carlos Beltran, I don't know what the plan is anymore right there. And when it comes to the Jets, I don't know what their plan is either. And, you know, I want to say this too before I talk it back to you. I don't have a problem with Adam Gates being hired as a head coach in the NFL. I have a problem with him being in a raw-raw city like New York. When you are the head coach or a manager of a professional sports team in New York, you have to come across with this dog-like mentality. Right. And Adam does not have that. He does not have that Bill Parcells. He does not have that Pat Riley. He doesn't have that Joe Torrey. He doesn't have that in him. And if he does, he doesn't show it at all. That is my problem with them hiring him over Mike McCarthy. Because Mike McCarthy has that raw, raw mentality that it's going to take for you to make it in New York and to take those teams to the places that those fan bases want to see them go. And I just believe he would have had this team playing at a much higher level. Because I have to say, I'm very disappointed with some of the press conferences that Adam Gates has had thus far this year because he really does not do a very good job of hiding his emotions at all. And you can tell when there is something that is going on within the organization that they really don't want you to know about because he wears those feelings right on his face for everyone to see in that room. Okay, we're running out of time. I'll just say this, okay. Uh, What they have is a puppet, okay, period. Puppet, P-U-P-P-E-T. 
Lewis, if you can get this thought out, but we don't have a lot more time. We're running out of show. I mean, just a brief touch on the Beltron thing with the Mets. I know you mentioned it prior. I don't even think that's a good fit. Just as I thought this Gase hiring wasn't really a good fit. We saw that photo that leaked on that press conference of him. You look how unhappy he looked. You know, I genuinely don't think it's going to work out there in New York. You know, I have hope that Darnold kind of, like, turns it around and hopefully, you know, he doesn't see Ghost's next game. But, you know, again, I just don't even think Gase is the right guy for that job, as I'm sure you probably agree, too. Yeah, I think so. I think he's over his head on that job, too. But then again, who, who are you going to put in there? I think McCarthy was the right fit. He wanted to go there. But, you know, again, he's up there, and yeah, yeah. I don't think you can broom him out after a year. But then again, that'll be for another show when we have – more time to talk about it. I just wanted you to make sure, Xavier, tonight you had an opportunity to say what you wanted to say about uh, the Darnold thing, and I think you make a lot of valid points. I really do. That they definitely hung him out to dry on a big stage, and I think the whole thing was a fiasco. Then again, lately with the New York Jets, a lot of things have been with a fiasco. I still see the New York Mets situation a bit more improved because they have a better team than the Jets, but that's not for tonight, okay? The focus is on the Jets, a team that's only won one football game and is coming off a 33 to nothing uh, loss at the hands of the Patriots. We only have about a minute and a half or two minutes to go. Lewis, quickly, some final thoughts. I mean, you know, we'll see how Darnold does next week. I'm sure he'll have a better game than he did on Monday night. But, you know, again, that was ugly, and hopefully he can kind of turn it around. Hopefully, you know, the Jets can kind of start to get things done. Let's just hope the Dolphins win a game for staying on the AFC East. And, again, don't want to see Brady in another uniform, but like, like you guys, I won't be shocked if it happens. Xavier McKnight, some final thoughts. Yes, I do believe that Sam Darnold will play better throughout the stretch of the season because the Jets have a lot of talent on that team. There are better rosters than their record indicates. Sam Darnold being out for weeks with Mono was one thing. I believe they can very well end this season 6-10 and 10 or possibly even 7-9. and nine. They do have the talent on the team to take them there, but they are still a circus of an organization nonetheless. Even when they went to two back-to-back AFC championship games earlier in the decade, they were still a circus of an organization nonetheless. Well, my final thoughts are the New York Jets are going to be playing their next two games in Florida, uh, right up I-95, north on I-95, and they're coming down to I-95 south, so... If the Jets want to be relevant at all, okay, they better get it figured out in the Sunshine State. Otherwise, they, you know, like you say, they got some bigger problems. For Adam Gase to be able to play against the Dolphins on the third, I think he'd like to stick it in Stephen Ross's backside, but he has to get through Doug Marone first. So on behalf of uh, Louis Adio Weiss and the rest of our uh, uh, crew here, we'll t- thank Ryan Skorud, Anthony Wood, Nick Puglisi, a guy that I'm looking forward to working with, Mel Farr, Damon McKnight, Tom Shanahan, you, of course, Xavier McKnight, and, of course, myself and Candy uh, Abling, who's been helping us behind the scenes in production. We want to make sure that everybody has a great weekend, and we look forward to doing this again on Tuesday night. Have a good night, everybody, and we'll see you back on Tuesday night from the Sports Exchange here on the South Florida Tribune Broadcasting Network. Have a great weekend, and be safe, everybody. Bye-bye. Take care. Good night, everyone. Buckle up, because Metro is bringing you the best deal in wireless. Switch to Metro and get your choice of two awesome free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens and tons of memory for all your pics and videos. So hurry into Metro and get your awesome free phones only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions.
Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!